Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I am Chenuff. <laughs> Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. Do you guys ever think about how we can only talk about big questions through the lens of pre-existing IP? <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. Something I've been wanting to tell you guys, and it is that uh, you can brush my hair, undress me everywhere, kiss me here, touch me there, hanky panky. Wow, uh, I'm just lyrics, taking notes. I'm li- taking notes right now. Yeah. Lyrics are much more troubling when you uh, say them in a low, gravelly voice, Jeff. <laughs> so thank you, thank you for that. Uh, those are, of course, all vague and oblique references <laughs> to the fact that today on the podcast we're going to be reviewing Barbie, which continues to dominate at the box office along with Oppenheimer. Uh, I actually had some thoughts I wanted to share with you guys about, about, about seeing Oppenheimer recently. I yeah. saw it in IMAX, dual laser at the Pacific Science Center, um, but. Uh, before we get to any of that, I want to mention the fact that you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Find us on TikTok at the filmcast. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at the filmcast pod. We're posting new videos every single week. And of course, if you want to support the show, patreon.com slash film podcast, how you can sign up for ad free episodes and exclusive after darks. This summer, we've been trying to post reviews for you early when we can. We posted uh, reviews early for uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer and Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. You heard those reviews earlier than anyone else if you were a patron of any tier. Thanks to all of our patrons for keeping this podcast running. Got a little bit of film news for you today before we move on into what we've been watching and then our review of Barbie with film critic and writer Brooke Obi. But I wanted to also mention, guys, I saw Oppenheimer for Congrats. a second time. <laughs> Thanks, Devendra. <laughs> yeah. For a second time this week at the Pacific Science Center. Nice. I saw Barbie for a second time. But nice. Glad you got to do that. Yeah. And uh, when, so I chose a screening that was like, I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I try to not go to uh, packed events in general um, because uh, I don't like hanging around other people, just like a general concept. Sure. You went to the and, quieter tra- Taylor Swift concert, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> the less crowded one. <laughs> that's absolutely right. Uh, I mean, I had earplugs in the whole time. Anyway, Uh uh, I went to the Pacific Science Center and uh, I chose a uh, Wednesday 1 p.m. screening. I bought tickets for that screening two weeks in advance. And when I bought tickets for that screening, Wednesday 1 p.m., they told me there were 17 tickets sold. So I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Optimal Dave Chen viewing environment. Optimal. Uh, uh, indeed. And uh, when I got to the screening, I learned that the screening had been entirely 100% sold out. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And not only that, but it was the 20th screening in a row of Oppenheimer that had been 100% sold out. That's believable. Yeah. And that uh, if it continued like through the rest of the week, they would have 30, basically more than 30 screenings sold out. Um, and it, uh, by, all, by all accounts, it was mm-hmm. continuing um, to be sold out. Was it a nicer um, screen? You said it was dual laser? So that's yeah, it, not it's 70 full, millimeter, but big. Correct. Right? Not not yeah. actual film, but full IMAX. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and I I will say uh, it it is an extremely impressive IMAX experience. Like, it is, is it better than the big 70 millimeter? Like, can you feel? I, have, I don't think I I don't know if I've actually seen it in 70 millimeter. I don't okay. think I have. But I thought um, you went to the big one before. Or no, no, no I, I went not, to a yeah. normal regular screening before. Right, it right. was on film, so it might have been 70 millimeter. Right. But I, I don't know. Um, but whatever the case. Uh, if you have a chance to see it in full IMAX, if you can see it in one of the apparently 30 screens in the world that have full IMAX, you should definitely check it out. It does really 
improve the viewing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so heartening that there is a mo- like an R-rated, you know, b- both Barbie and Oppenheimer's success are really impressive. Um, but Oppenheimer specifically being an R-rated film that is three hours of mostly talking <laughs> Uh, that this movie is doing gangbusters. Uh, That's pretty will, wild. Will probably make more money than Mission Impossible. Uh, is really amazing um, for for a theatrical film going. I think I'm really I'm really happy. That's about great. That. So, did anyway, you yeah. get a good IMAX screen like seat, Dave? I did. I you know yeah. Uh, pr- pretty pretty close to the back. I could take in the whole screen. Yeah. Because I'm 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 trying to get into the uh, Georgia, the Mall of Georgia, which is the big IMAX, and I'm looking at forums. People are traveling hundreds of miles yeah, to get to the screen. Yeah. Like people are making treks. Same thing I'm hearing at the Lincoln Square Theater in New York, and it's tough. Like if I can get a seat, it's like third row at the edge. Is mm, that even worth it? Do not do. Do not do. Well, yeah. there have been a couple of updates along those lines. I think uh, IMAX has announced that they're extending the run of Oppenheimer by an additional week. Um, so there will be another week. So it's going to be four <laughs> weeks of Oppenheimer in IMAX. Uh, That's theaters. pretty wild. I guess uh, the please of br- please bring back Mission Impossible to IMAX is just not <laughs> I don't, for a while. I don't think it's going to play out. Not in a good answering way. Tom Cruise's phone calls right now. <laughs> Sorry, I don't think it's going to play out well for him. Uh, but yeah, if and, and I would say if you have a chance to see it in full IMAX, it, it's one of those things where yeah, it's worth making a pilgrimage out. You know, I'm not saying travel like five hours, but I'm saying it's worth making a pilgrimage, spe- spending mm-hmm. a little bit of extra money, uh, you know, a little bit more inconvenience. I think it is worth doing. Um, although Jeff might have disagreed with me, as he made clear during the during the review of uh, Oppenheimer. Well, but, no, I'm I'm glad to hear that. I think that I have not had that experience in IMAX. It's, oh yeah, because uh, you, you you didn't. That's right, you didn't see it in full. IMAX, I saw it right? in 70 millimeter, but yeah. not in an, on an IMAX screen, not even on a LIMAX screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I'm I'm very I'm I'm very uh, heartened to hear that it really does make a difference, and it is impressive. It's, it's such a strange thing to put all that effort and money into yeah. something that so few people are going to get a chance to experience. I know, and it's it's such a bummer that it's so few, right? Like, I wish yeah. there were, I wish there was like a, a trend underway to build more IMAX screens in the country, but it's like it's not happening. First, they got to update their Palm Pilot situation. So, you but know. it does it does make it so that it is like this big event that you go to, though. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. it, where it's like a a thing you need to deliberately put a lot of time and effort into. Uh, and I, th- I think it's worth it for Oppenheimer. I'm actually extremely excited about Dune 2, assuming that even comes out this year, uh, because apparently, like, most, if not all, the film was shot in IMAX, which is, like, if you've seen the... Tra- I-, I-, I talked about it in the After Dark, but if you've seen the trailer for Dune 2 in IMAX, it is yeah. incredible. I think we've um, already got confirmation it is not coming in 2023, right? As far as I could tell, it's just being considered. There were rumors, I, I, do, yeah. I do not believe it is official yet. Because there um, there was also stories going around that it would take over IMAX screens from the Marvels. So if that, right. you know, it would still have to be released for that to actually happen. So. Yeah, um, it is not official yet. But hey, by the time you're listening to this, it might be official. So like, uh, but as of this recording, I don't believe it is official. It is being strongly considered. And it would be a huge bummer if it was mm-hmm. pushed. But, you know. It's, um, it's worth taking a step back. Like, remember when we were in the middle, like... Basically, it was still bad times in the pandemic, but uh, vaccines were out and people were starting to go out and tenant, you know, no one was pretty, pretty much pushing tenant as like the return to theater experience. It made like okay money, but not great. It didn't like revive the entire theatrical industry. It is kind of nice to see this kind of work out for him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This, this is doing, Oppenheimer is doing extremely well and uh, yeah, it's great. But again, talkie for a talkie for a talkie for a talkie. talkie, See? Yeah. 
I, I do want to acknowledge Barbie is crushing and will likely be the number one film of yeah. the year domestically. Yeah. Uh, po- possibly um, domestically. It might lose out to Super Mario Brothers. We'll see. So they're both doing extremely well. But Good news um, this summer. Good yeah. news this summer. Bad news for the rest of the year and the film industry. Um, it is pretty wild, though, that the two top movies are Barbie and Super Mario Brothers. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Martin Scorsese is like rolling over in his grave. You know <laughs> well, what I mean? Yeah, he's still alive. He's still alive. I'm he's aware just, of that. That was just a spinning. joke, Dave. He's just spinning. <laughs> he's just spinning. He's, spinning he's just spinning, uh, you know, during the... Get your pre-order, pre-orders in for Killers of the Flower Moon, kids. Yes. yes. It's an IP. It was We're a book. Ex- this is an adaptation. Yeah. We're excited. We're excited. Um, well, speaking of film delays, I do want to mention that there have been uh, a bunch of Sony delays to the calendar. Uh... So we we had talked about how uh, Spider. You call this segment Sony or later. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sony or later? Can you explain that? You'll Jeff? see the you'll see the movie Sony or later. Oh, no, sooner, sooner. I get it. So sooner, I get it. Yeah. Um, Thanks for sp- you did. <laughs> really supporting <laughs> on the, that. Jeff. On my gags yeah. this week, yeah. doing I'm, great. I'm really I'm really crushing it on yeah. uh, on yes ending Jeff Canales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, we had talked about how Beyond the Spider-Verse was probably going to be delayed anyway because of the challenging working conditions um, for that film. We talked about that here on the Filmcast. Well, that delay has now been made official. Um, Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse has officially been removed from the Sony calendar. So I don't is... think that's called a delay. <laughs> <laughs> the movie is canceled now, right? What <laughs> the is, movie is, what is not coming out any time <laughs> that we know of at all. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, almost definitely not coming out in 2024. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, 2025, right? And It'll be ready when it's ready. Okay, yeah. there's many reasons why it's not coming out. You know, the the animation conditions, but obviously, uh, the actors can't record their lines because they haven't done that yet. Apparently, um, for Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse, so Beyond the Spider-Verse uh, being pushed back. One wonders it's if if it's even been written. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> one one does wonder that. One does wonder, Jeff. A uh, bunch of other delays have also happened for Sony. Sony announced a bunch of other delays. So Ghostbusters Afterlife, uh, which was supposed to come out this Christmas, now coming out theoretically in April of 2024. Uh, Craven the Hunter, another Spider-Man villain spinoff in the vein of Morbius. That movie doesn't exist. Was supposed to hit theaters. Was supposed to hit theaters on October six. <laughs> the trailer. I watched the trailer. It looked delightfully campy and possibly yeah. terrible. Um, was supposed to come out in October. Now has been moved to August of twenty twenty four. The one that is the most baffling to me is Neil Blomkamp's Gran Turismo. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which was supposed to hit theaters uh, earlier, like in August eleventh. I think we had a guest, a great. Guest lined up perfect. for that. We had a perfect plan. Perfect yeah. plan for this. And then it has been delayed two weeks to come out on in August of uh twenty uh, August twenty-fifth. They're hoping what? these strikes get uh wrapped up in a couple of weeks. They're, That's they're, true. they're, they're real That's optimistic. True. Maybe, maybe they, I almost wonder too, they're like, um, we we cannot be in theaters alongside Barbie and Oppenheimer at their peak. Like we just gotta let's make room. Let's make room for Barbie. Yeah. It's, it's killing true. us. It is bizarre. So apparently, it's going to be yeah. in select theaters <laughs> on August 11th and August 18th before it goes the real on fans. August 25th. Yeah. So I'm just like, what is going? You know, I, I don't. I literally just watched a movie last night in a theater that had an August 11th release date for Grand Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it's I like, mean, why, there's a reason why they don't change this that late in the game because all the posters say August 11th. You know, all the trailers yeah. say August 11th. Um, that is the one that's really baffling to me. Uh, 
Particularly it because it messes with the film cast schedule. So yeah, that's they that's didn't the even, primary problem. They didn't right? even bother to consult with us. I don't. I don't recall getting a phone call. Did you guys? I don't no, no, not one. A few other changes have happened. Uh, Madam Web, apparently another movie that uh, is going to be in the Spider-Man universe, still opening on Valentine's Day in 2024. So you can look forward to that. Um, and uh, the horror film, uh, They Listen, Blumhouse horror film was supposed to come out in August of 2024, now no longer has a release uh, date. Hmm. Karate Kid, pushed back six months to December of 2024. Are they remaking Karate Kid again? Again? I think, possibly, possibly. Why? And also, uh, upcoming sequels for Bad Boys and Venom have been delayed until June of uh, 2024 and July of 2024, respectively. So, a lot of Sony delays already <laughs> happening there. We are looking at that? a golf, boys. It's going to be bad. When are they going to change that franchise's name to Bad Seniors, Bad Old Men, Bad Grandpas, <laughs> something, bad, something. Bad boys. Bad, yeah, oldies. Bad, <laughs> bad middle-aged men. Yeah. yeah. Um. But I, I do, you know, it, you're right, Jeff. We are looking at a golf, and so I do want listeners to know. Um, obviously, uh, we <laughs> the podcast survived COVID, and uh, I think it will be able to press through. You know, this uh, next period of uncertainty in the industry, uh, but it's probably going to get weird. You know, it's probably going to be a situation where we're reviewing stuff that is not in theaters, or we might start reviewing older things. Uh, we're still trying to figure out how to get through mm -hmm. it. And so we just ask for people's patience and flexibility because, yeah, uh, things are changing literally every single week. Um, but we're going to do our best to, to bring you reviews of stuff that's coming out um, so you can make informed decisions as you head to the theater. All right, last thing before we get to what we've been watching, and that is we learned this morning that, uh, as we're recording this, we're recording this on Monday, that Paul Rubens passed away. Um, which is a huge bummer. Pee-wee's Playhouse, obviously a huge part of a lot of our childhoods. Devendra, do uh, you have any uh, specific remembrances of Paul Rubens? I mean, really, I was pretty much raised on Pee-wee's Playhouse. Like, it was the thing I watched every day, and I've always loved him as a comedian and as an actor and as a personality. Um, it was probably a while until I saw, like, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and that movie just blew me away, just in terms of it's, like, that that was, like, my big introduction to Tim Burton's, like, in, you know, imagination, too, along with Ruben's style. Um, I love the man. I do remember, like, there was, I don't even fully remember, like, what happened with the whole controversy around him, uh, but I do remember always loving him, and when he popped up in 30 Rock, that's, like, one of the all-time best, like, one-off 30 Rock episodes, so I wish, I was kind of secretly hoping he'd get some sort of comeback, and it's just really sad to hear, man. It's, um, it's incredibly tragic. Um, yeah. Evidently, his Instagram posted a note saying, please accept my apology for not going public with what I've been facing for the last mm. six years, which evidently was cancer. Yeah. Uh, very sad. I mean, it, it recalls... Um, um, I was going to say Norm MacDonald. Norm MacDonald, right? Who this, up who, this, who, who, yeah, who had like health issues and didn't share them with the public. Didn't share them. As, uh, as was and, his right, you know? But Yes. Yeah. Um, Paul Rubens was 70, which I didn't realize, my goodness. Uh, I didn't realize he was 70. He still looked like he was, you know, 30. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, he had had some some wonderful cameo parts, and you know, not too long ago in in Thirty Rock and stuff like that. Um, yeah, well, we do in the shadows. He was in yeah, a while back. yeah, yeah. Um, 
you know, just a, a huge footprint on all of our childhoods. Um, so and uh, it's very sad to hear, you know, I, I totally respect people's privacy um, and him not wanting to uh, share that news, but it's, it's just sad to know that someone had been suffering for that long, six years, um, without, you know, without any kind of uh, outpouring mm -hmm. of support from what I think would have, you know, his fans, I'm sure, would have uh, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that that would, that, you know? I yeah. think when you hear some of that, right, you want to be like, oh, I wish this had been shared so we could kind of show our support, you know, with that person, but... Um, Sometimes they make the calculation that it's not worth it, you know? Yeah. Um, to to them, did. this is the kindness. Yeah. He did say, you know, I read the beginning of that statement that the rest of it is, I have always felt a huge amount of love and respect from my friends, fans, and supporters. I have loved you all so much and enjoyed making art for you. Man. We, we learned this news like literally five minutes ago, so I'm still yeah. processing it. But as I am thinking about this and all the things I want to revisit, I don't think uh, there was a recent Pee Wee's movie. I thought it was pretty good. Pee-wee's Big Holiday. So I would recommend people check it out if you ignored it. And uh, yeah, I'm going to go back. I'm going to do some remembrances. Uh, I've been trying to rewatch Big Adventure with my daughter because she's really into a lot of the zanias. She really likes the show. So I'm going to keep at it with that. It's just so sad. Indeed. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, wanted to take a moment to reflect on that and the fact that, yeah, he, he did make big contributions to uh, the work that we saw as children and growing up and as adults as well. So... Thanks to everything. Uh, thanks for all the art that uh, Paul Rubens has created. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more and what we've been watching right after this. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. All right, folks, let's talk about some what we've been watching this week. I want to talk about a documentary I saw on Netflix that a bunch of people have recommended to me. It's called The Deepest Breath. Mm. Uh, this is a documentary about deep sea free diving. I couldn't. Um, I couldn't watch this. It gives me too much anxiety. I yeah. can't. I, you, ever, you, you ever, guys? You guys ever like watch a sport uh -huh. and you see like footage from the sport and you're like, oh, that's uh, that's not for me. You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's hey, I'm that's not a thing I want to do. You know, that seems like a nightmare. It's yeah. cool. It's yeah. cool that other people are into it, but that's definitely not a thing I want to do. It's like the scene from Rogue Nation. Whenever I rewatch that, but the, the free diving in that movie just kills me. Ugh. Sometimes it's even uh, not cool that other people are into it. Like, don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't do want to know that people even do that to themselves. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the idea behind deep sea free diving is you, uh, you take one single breath and you try, you try to reach the deepest depth possible, right? 
So you go down all this way, and then you try to touch the, you try to grab this tag off this. You know, they have this like system where you grab this tag and then you resurface. Um, and, and people like the the goal is to um, not die. I guess yes, that's right. That's right. The goal is to not die. Which seems um, like you know not the best goal for sports. <laughs> I would agree with you, Jeff. I would agree with you, and I think that the deepest breath is a really compelling documentary. Uh, because it shows you people doing this thing, which is like, just, it's just an incredible thing to watch someone do, right? It's like, yeah. wow, like they're they're testing the limits of the human body and of nature. And there's great footage showing you people doing it. It's it's beautiful. It's impressive. But I have one big problem with this movie, which is that this movie documents the relationship between two freedivers, Alessia Zacchini and Stephen Keenan. And... The basically the entire movie is told in past tense, and uh, it doesn't reveal to you what happened to one or both of those people until the end of the movie. And I am not a fan of how it approached mm. uh, that reveal. And yeah. I'll just I'm I'm not gonna I'm gonna try to you know gonna keep it as non spoiler as possible. But I'll just say that uh, I'm when you're dealing with actual real life people. I think the standards are higher for how you handle a reveal like that. And I don't think this movie approached it in the correct way. Mm. Um, but other than that, so, you, you know, another, like, I, 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 I contrast it to a movie like Touching the Void. I don't think you guys have seen that movie, right? Touching no. the Void, the documentary. <clears throat> Incre one of my favorite documentaries of all time. It's basically a mountain climbing movie. And uh, it recounts one of like this massive climbing accident that happened between two guys um, in 1985 in the Peruvian Andes. And right from the beginning of the film, you, it's interviewing both of the guys. Like there's interviews with both of the guys. So right from the beginning, you know that both of them survived, right? Like uh, that is the approach that that movie takes. Mm -hmm. Now I, I'm not going to reveal who survives or who doesn't survive in the deepest breath, but um, I think you need to approach such a topic with deep sensitivity yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know that it did that. Um, but people can judge for themselves. Uh, that said, it is a great, like, it, it's a very thrilling documentary. Like you want to know what happens. Um, the footage is great. It's riveting. Uh, so I, I, I still think it's like a very, it's a movie I'd still recommend you check out if you're even mildly interested in this topic but i just wish it had handled certain elements mm -hmm. better so i feel like yeah. uh, when that happens in a documentary i think of like dear zachary where a similar situation where that is that uh, there's an event that's played up i think really masterfully in the movie but also is is real life you know it's like how do you how do you deploy that information what, yeah what is the yeah. what is how do you deploy it what is the purpose of deploying it in the way mm -hmm. you're deploying mm -hmm. it, right like is it in service of telling the best story is it in service of honoring uh, the people involved, you know, anyway, Jeff, it sounds like you're going to say something as well. Yeah. I have a quick anecdote, uh, that's tangentially related. I, I, I don't know if either of you have heard of a film, a Jean Renault film that was released in 1988 called the big blue. Have either of you mm. ever heard of that movie? No. Jean I, Renault I, I, plays. I've heard of it. Haven't seen it. Heard of it. Play, it Jean Renault plays a free diver. This oh, is yeah, a yeah, fictional okay. film <clears throat> based on the same, you know, subject matter is, is, is what you're talking about. Free divers going down and holding their breath. In 1988, <clears throat> uh, dating myself here, but uh, I, uh, my family and I went to Hawaii on a uh, vacation. I was a young kid. <clears throat> family was uh, going to Hawaii. 
I was not nearly as film savvy as uh, as I am these days, nor were my family. It was the the kind of thing where we would just show up at a movie theater and see what was playing. And uh, we were in Hawaii, and the family decided, "Hey, we're going to go to a movie. What better movie to go to in Hawaii than a movie about the ocean?" <laughs> yeah, The Big Blue. <clears throat> the Big Blue is a two hour and forty eight minute meditation on what it's like to free dive. And I think that movie broke my family. It, they, I think they were sh just, I, I, I honestly, I've always wanted to revisit it because I think as a more sophisticated movie watcher, yeah. I mm -hmm. might get something out of it. That's but a it, Luc Besson movie too. I've been meaning to watch it. It is Luc Besson. Yeah. And uh, it, it, <laughs> it was, I, I remember our family walking out of it and being like, maybe we just don't go to movies anymore. Maybe movies maybe, are. <laughs> maybe you're in Hawaii on vacation. You should. Uh, well, it was like a nighttime yeah. thing. We were like, yeah, you know, we yeah, were tired yeah. from the long day at the beach. We we're like, let's go to a movie. We'll go to yeah, a movie, movie that's like themed. Or, and it, I remember them thinking like, oh, we, we remember seeing this movie around our little town uh, in <laughs> Northern California. It was It felt like this kind of uh, event thing. Yeah, the poster looks like Free Willy before Free Willy. It was it definitely before friendly, Free Willy. Friendly. No, yeah, it is yeah. Uh, har a harrowing journey into the world of free diving. And uh, yeah, anyway, just a little anecdote about that. I think your parents that. took you on that uh, for a lesson, Dave. That's why you don't go too deep. Uh, that's why you don't swim away from the family. Stay close. Yes, yeah. No, then maybe that was. The, like, the thing, that's how you learn your hold, lesson. Don't yeah. hold your breath. Stay above the water. Stay above the water at the, all times. The thing that was so mind-blowing about free diving, I, I know it sounds dangerous just on its face. Like you hear about it, you're like, oh, that sounds dangerous. But like how little... Uh, like how few the safety measures are. Like in my mind, I was thinking, oh well, if the person is struggling, like let's say they're like a hundred feet down and they're struggling, um, surely someone can like rush to them with like a scuba thing or whatever, right? Like, or yeah, you have oxygen. some oxygen down at the bottom there for if yeah. uh, we're yeah, freaking for, out. You, you, you yeah. just pick up a thing and you know, look take for a little oxygen. oxygen bubble. It's going up. You know, grab um, the bubble. Yeah, but the answer is no. You can't do that. Um, because that would be, that would be cheating. That would because, be because well, not even cheating. It's apparently like physically impossible because mm. um, you would explode. You had to get the bends. Yeah, yeah. Or something. Because basically, yeah. like the people who. Uh, go down there like you, you you know like it's it, the change in pressure is extremely rapid to begin with so the only people who can help you are other free divers like and and they're not down there with scuba like they're down there just like you know gonna um, blow into your mouth yeah they like they bring you up to the surface and they blow into your mouth that's exactly what happens so um it's it's really 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 dangerous and it's like i don't understand why anyone would do this. And, you know, that is something that the deepest breath does, does explore, like why someone would do this. And I think on, on a large level, um, people are, are striving to achieve something that they don't feel like they can achieve otherwise, or, or they are okay with death. You know, they, they, they have accepted that death is like a part of life and, you know, uh, but yeah, it's, it's wild. It's a wild sport. It's not something I'd ever want to partake in or even watch because I'd be so worried. Um, but it's a it's a very engrossing documentary. It's the deepest breath on Netflix. Devinder Hardwar, what have you been watching? Oh, a couple of things. Uh, I have been catching up on that show, Full Circle, the new Steven Soderbergh show, which you guys talked about, and uh, I've seen the first episode. Just want to add a couple other things to it. I think the show is very good. It's a well done, really compelling uh, thriller uh, done in the style of Soderbergh, but also like with it is written and created by Ed Solomon. 
who I love. I generally yes. like his work. Very talented um, screenwriter. Yeah. Love that man. Thank you for Men in Black and Bill and Ted and everything. Um, so yeah, I'm really down with it, but I, I'm just shocked. Like from the beginning, this show just gets a lot of things right about the Guyanese community, which plays a big role in it. Um, the accents are correct. And I almost wonder, Jeff, when you were watching this uh, episode, not wondering, not knowing what was going on, if you were even discerning like what people were saying to each other at certain points, because well, it I, is, I always uh, watch with subtitles on. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, subtitles are critical for full. What, but what yes. did the subtitle say? Is it a direct translation of what these people are saying? Because what they're saying is like a really unique patois that I grew yeah, up with. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I don't. Did the subtitles like have clear English, or was it like what they were saying? I think it I can't was, recall. I can't. <laughs> I can't recall. I was literally just watching yeah. it the other day because I'm I'm catching up on it, and I I think it. I just remember reading the subtitles, being grateful that the, I had subtitles, <laughs> yeah, and feeling like, oh, now I completely now, understand, now I understand what they, now I understand yeah. what these characters are trying to say. Like whatever it was, it sure, adequately sure, conveyed. Sure. There was a what clarity. Were, I never felt exactly. Un, yeah, exactly, I never yeah. felt lost or unclear. Exactly. So. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. because of the subtitles. I was wondering if people watching without subtitles, because I don't do that. That's too distracting to me. Um, Unless I need to, unless I don't totally know the language. But I'm surprised that so much of the dialogue just felt really real and natural. And sounds like people in my family, people who come straight over from Guyana, like what they sound like. Um, it's not it's not something I regularly like speak in that fashion, but I can just like I can translate it in my head immediately. So like it, I was just shocked to see like people having these conversations to see like guy like actual Guyanese actors and families and um things that are really really kind of unique to the caribbean too like a lot of mixed race families to you know going on like it's just there there is indo guyanese there are you know uh black guyanese there are all sorts of people in this uh, show they're just kind of living together as a family so i found that just fascinating to see it like portrayed really really well and the mystery at the center of it i think is pretty compelling too i've only seen one episode but i like the setup um it is funny to see mr timothy oliphant now in two shows two like limited series where he just gets to be a beautiful silver fox and yeah. uh, this character could be nothing like he, he's nothing like real and givens but he is still like the oliphant like you get that aspect to him I think it's really good. It's really compelling. I'm just shocked the show exists in this form. And it's uh, pretty accurate, at least from what I can tell. So I'm digging it. I hope um, I was hoping it wasn't going to be the way so many of these thrillers um, and even like Soderbergh stuff like treats uh, Latin America. You right, know, the way it treats right. Mexico or something. And it does kind of have shades of that at the beginning until things start to change a little towards the end of the first episode. It, it, it so. feels much more authentic to me than like... Yeah. Me, you know traffic's depiction of mexico as an example for sure you know? for yeah, sure yeah, it feels so. it feels authentic um and even leaning into i can see like where it's may lean into some like spiritual stuff too and i'm like well i don't know how they're gonna work with this but you know who talks about this stuff my family like just just weird <laughs> people are talking mm -hmm. about like uh, somebody gave you the evil eye huh um like a whole explanation for like why bad luck is happening to their family and that is that's just like a cultural thing that we talk about in Guyana and in the Caribbean, I know there are like various interpretations of it. Um, it's just that cultural specificity, specificity I think is really, really fascinating. And I assume like a lot of regular viewers may just be lost until like, you know, a couple episodes in, but I was just shocked watching this because we never get to see anything about my home country. That's not, you know, it's, it's all Jim Jones. That's all. That's the only story people hear about Guyana really. So mm -hmm. it's fascinating to see something else. That's full circle. All six episodes are available on Max, the one to watch for HBO. 
Jeff Kanata, hit us up with one thing you've been watching. Well, I've I've watched two documentaries. I'm tempted to talk about the one that is thematically similar to what you were talking about, Dave, but I'll save that for whatever for you the prefer. Yeah. Next yeah. go round. And I want to t- tell you about a documentary I watched. Um, can't recall where now, but uh, on one of the streaming services, it's called uh-huh. Glitch, The Rise and Fall of HQ Trivia. And I think maybe it was on Hulu, I want to say. Yeah, uh, Hulu makes sense because it's a CNN documentary, and I feel like they have a deal yeah. with them. Anyway. Uh, so this is about uh, something that you all may recall. I certainly do. Uh, in like 2013, 2014-ish. It's on uh, Max, by the way. Just a quick Is it Max? Oh, okay. Yeah. The one to watch for HBO? Max, the one to watch for HBO. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, thank you, Devendra. Uh, this is HQ trivia, which was this flash in the pan. Everybody was talking about it, especially if you were into tech and into, you know, startups and that kind of scene that the three of us are all uh, fascinated by. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a, uh, a daily trivia show that you would tune into on your phone through an app and you would be able to do trivia questions in real time and win some money. Not a lot of money but you would be able to win money. And I remember there was a period where like everybody was into it. It became appointment viewing. Uh, there was a time uh, during the day, everybody would get on and try to get, you know answer the questions. And it was hosted by a charming stand-up comic kind of dude. And it, it uh, around that time, a little bit after that time, I started working for a, a startup app company uh, making content. And my goodness, did that app company want to be HQ Trivia so bad? They kept mm-hmm, referencing mm-hmm. it. We got to do it. We gotta, and we modeled all their content around it. Well, because it, like, it was like maybe this is the future of like game shows. People yeah, were like, I mean, it was yeah, making this, it was this, crazy yeah. successful. They were getting yeah. millions of concurrent views. They were, you know, these guys were on the cover of magazines. The two founders. It was like the it thing at for a very short period of time. It was like the it thing. And so, you know, as Silicon Valley tends to be, uh, everybody wanted to chase that, you know, chase that money and make their own version of it. So I was working for, and, and I mean, we kept saying like, let's not, maybe we do our own thing and not try to be like these other guys. And they're, no, 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 no. We get. Anyway, so my personal connection to this was that I was very familiar with this phenomenon at the time because uh, the company I was working for just wanted to be that so bad. Well, come to find out through this documentary, this company was pretty terrible. And mm-hmm. uh, this <laughs> yeah. is a, a pretty interesting, do- I, I think it's interesting. It's, you know, I'm of two minds, honestly, because it's interesting to me because it is v- a very specific time period that I re- recall very well. In fact, it's wild to me that there are documentaries about something that doesn't feel very long ago to me. Like the entire, this entire phenomenon occurred post the end of the totally rad show, yep, which yep. to me doesn't seem like that long ago. You know, it's a still part. It's it's been a long time now, but we've we've had Theranos, we've had the Uber stuff. Like it's yeah, just everywhere. So many things have to be explained. Yeah. It's it's crazy how recently it, that feels in my mind, and yet this documentary is like talking about it like it's ancient history, which for a lot of people it, it is ten years ago. You know. Um. Anyway, I found this to be kind of. Uh, you know, guilty pleasure kind of fun to watch because you were seeing the rise and fall. It says it right in the title there, uh, the rise and fall where, you know, every, you can't do, do any wrong. Uh, everything is going great. We're ranking in money. Our hubris is in full effect. And then that leads to the fall. 
And so this is not a story that is unique or interesting, you know, or, or uncommon in any way. It is countless examples of it. But this one, the particulars of it, I think, are explained pretty well. And you get a little bit of the inner workings. There's a lot of, lot of uh, interviews with the, the host guy, Scott, who people will likely recall from that time if they were around and doing that. Uh, and he is very, uh, you know, he's got an axe to grind uh, because he felt like it was uh, poorly managed from the inside out. And you just see how a, a lot of these startup tech successes are just doomed to fail because it's too much too fast. No one knows how to handle it. Everybody gets uh, overconfident and, and you know, you have money to burn. And then all the money's burned and there you go. Um, so I, I found it an interesting enough uh view it's certainly not something i'm going to say as a must watch it's a story you've seen play out numerous times in the last couple decades but this one uh resonated for me because i felt a little bit of a connection to it uh it's called glitch the rise and fall of hq trivia uh i was interested to check this out tiktok recently launched like tried to launch a uh trivia game didn't go that well they're not mm. doing it anymore um they might come back to it but yeah well the irony of that is the two founders of hq trivia founded vine which was tiktok before tiktok that's true and that's true. was yeah. purchased by what twitter facebook twitter, twitter. twitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean x it's all garbage. Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Vine was was yeah. bought up and then squashed, and yeah. they were so mad they went off and and made their own new thing, HQ Trivia, and then sort of yeah. carried that uh, bad blood into that endeavor, and it, it it just was a mess. And there's some you know there's some big drama I won't spoil, but um, you know it's vicarious uh, vicarious fun of watching these you know these these kind of bad actors get mm -hmm. their comeuppance and and uh i admit it's a guilty pleasure a bit to watch that happen but um you know juicy fun there, there yeah. was a good ringer podcast series about this too so yeah, yeah they, so similar stuff there's a podcast like also chronicled the rise and fall of hq but yeah, yeah. the rise I, and I, fall uh, of twitter is going to make a good documentary yeah, yeah. Too. that'll be I'm good one. so oh yeah. yeah oh my god, god. Uh, i'm so uh curious how they got all of the original there's tons of footage of the original hq trivia app which Mm -hmm. I don't know how they got that. Like, I don't imagine it's archived anywhere. I Somebody had to record it off because it was all just live streamed. It wasn't, right, yeah. you right. couldn't access it after the fact. So I'm so curious how they got it. But there's tons of video of, you know, the actual uh, daily HQ trivia moments. I'm I'm no longer surprised. Uh, like, I think like people are screen recording things at all times, you know? Yeah, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I agree. It's like, you know, I, I am also surprised sometimes at how clean some of this footage is. But you know, did you see that that documentary Long Shot? You remember that, Jeff? Which what, what was that about? That was about how there was somebody who was accused of a horrible crime, but because they were in the background of a of a shot on Curb Your Enthusiasm proving wow. their alibi, they wow. were exonerated. I did not see that. That sounds yeah. amazing. And it's just like people are just it's a, it's a documentary on Netflix, and it's just like. Yeah, people are just recording stuff at all times. You know, people, yeah. like someone will make a screen recording of their an entire HQ trivia session just just yeah. to have. You know, like I, I just think that people are recording stuff at all times. Getting that stuff is difficult still, um, but uh, I think it's like largely being recorded in some form. Um, so anyway, I'm I'm really curious to check this out, Jeff, because I it, it had hit my radar when it first debuted. But your recommendation. Boost it back to the top of the list. Yeah, yeah. I think you'll enjoy it. It's, it. I don't think you'll come away thinking it is a top tier. 
documentary from a you know documentarian skill perspective but i think it's it's still you know juicy fun it's juicy fun yeah um so glitch the rise and fall of hq trivia on max the one to watch for hbo let's take another break we'll be back with more what we've been watching right after this tax day is coming oh no but if you sign up for Robinhood gold's ira with a three percent match you can get up to 195 dollars for the 2023 tax year oh yeah sign up at robinhood.com boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market subscription fees apply Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. I want to talk about the first slam dunk. What? Mm. The first slam dunk. How did you end up seeing this movie, Dave? Well, I saw some good buzz for it. Yeah. It's an uh, anime movie, an anime sports movie. It's an anime sports movie. It's based off of the Slam Dunk manga series. Uh, and, you know, I watched this movie last night, and I thought it was great. And I was like, I'm so excited to tell tell the world about this. Little did I know, this movie has made over $264 million worldwide already. <laughs> it's killing it. Yeah. It has won the Japan Academy Prize for Animation of the Year. It is the fifth highest grossing anime film of all time. Um, I really need to see this. Yeah. It, it, in South Korea, I really want to see it too. Yeah, it has become the highest-grossing anime film of all time in South Korea, surpassing 2016's Your Name. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was number one for three weeks in a row at the Jap- Japanese box office. Um, so, yeah, the movie is really impressive. Um, this is the kind of movie that we're going to be reviewing in September and October. I think that <laughs> is a main highly review. possible. That is highly <laughs> possible. So it has a limited release right now. G-Kids is taking care of the, the U.S. release. Um, and I'll just be, I'll be very light on the details of the plot because I think you guys are probably still going to watch this movie. But it, it's basically, uh, you, you watch a basketball game. Yeah. yeah. In anime. That's, that's the whole movie is you watch the basketball game in anime. Now, there's like, flashbacks and like other where you like learn about the people in the game and what their different stories are but it's like what like that doesn't sound that complicated to show a basketball game but it is it's there's a lot of physics that go into it how do you block a basketball game the people who made this clearly have a lot of love for basketball the beauty of the game the intensity of the game the, the cinematic moments that you can get from the game it is a remarkable technical achievement to be able to animate a basketball game that is thrilling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will say, you know, uh, like the emotional components of this movie didn't coalesce uh, in a, in a massive emotional gut punch in the way that I would have wanted. You know, when, when I described to you, Oh, it's a basketball game. And we like learn about the different people as the game goes on via flashbacks and like, you know, and you would want it to be a situation where it's like, oh, at the end, you're like so emotionally invested in every single one of their fates that you're like, ah, I can't wait to see how this ends. And I don't think the uh, the non-basketball stuff is really that strong, unfortunately. I think it's a little bit um, a little bit thin. 
but the basketball game itself is incredible. And like, guys, I'm tired. I'm tired of watching. Let me let me see if I can articulate this clearly. I'm tired of watching movies about stuff that doesn't love the stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I watched a um, a documentary about a piano competition. Uh, that's actually I think on Max right now. Um, it was at Sundance, uh, and it was about the the. Uh, let's see, I, I can tell you what it is because I don't want to not name it, but. Um, yeah, it was about this Chopin competition, uh, and this movie debuted at Sundance. And you do not see an entire, like as far as I can recall, you don't see an entire performance of any song in the entire movie. You know what hmm. I'm saying? Like, and it's just like, oh, hey, it's cool. We're showing you little clips of it, and I'm just like, I want to see the fucking competition. Like, the reason yeah. I'm watching this is the live streaming era. Give me <laughs> pure content. The reason yes. I'm watching a documentary of a Chopin competition is because I want to see part of the Chopin competition. You know, like, um, <laughs> it's the movie's called uh, Piano Forte, by the way. Uh, and and there's many examples where like, it's a, like, a documentary. Like, the Queen, I would argue the Queen's Gambit doesn't do a good job depicting chess. That's me. Uh, a lot of people would disagree with that. Um, but this movie, The First Slam Dunk, is a movie that loves basketball. And it mm-hmm. shows you extended sequences of basketball where, like, you know, there's a gap between the two teams. Like, there's a point gap, and it like shows you basket by basket how that gap is bridged. You know, and it's like so deliberate with its pacing and everything. So anyway, love it. I've said love enough. It. I've said enough. You, you have discovered sports anime, Dave, and this <laughs> yeah. is a this is yeah. a deep hole, and I hope you explore it. Um, I really need to see this because I do love sports anime. Yeah, uh, highly recommend you check it out. The first slam dunk is the name of the movie. It's in limited release. Looks right like now. it's yeah, either dubbed or subbed. It's gonna be hard to get a. Sub I watched it. I watched it side. subbed. Um. So and I, that was a great experience. Like, yeah. Uh, they spoke in Japanese and there's English subtitles. So mm-hmm. I'd, I'd recommend that one. All right, Devinger Hardware. What have you been watching? Oh, I checked out the first episode of the latest revival of Futurama. It's back. <laughs> this again. thing won't die. Just won't die. Just. Uh, I, I I thought it was fine. I think um, it is really nice to see this crew back together, the writing talent back together, Stefan, to just be in this world again. And the first episode uh, is a direct like response to the world of streaming and binge watching, which I think is kind of funny. Um, I almost wanted to uh, like, yeah, uh, have us tag ourselves in this episode because it involves a streaming machine, like creating a thing to binge as much content as possible. <laughs> and uh, I think we all kind of want something like that. That's how I've been. Uh, I was talking about watching Justified, sort of like as a podcast, where I'm like, you yeah, know, I am binging it. I am like paying attention and seeing what's happening to all these characters. Um, I think it's pretty funny. It's not like Futurama at its best, but certainly nowhere near Futurama at its worst. I agree. I, was, I agree. I was worried it was going to be like, oh, wh- why just kill this thing already? The first, the first episode of Futurama debuted on Hulu, and it mm-hmm. is very solid. It is yeah. very solid, right down the middle, like. Decent, strong episode yeah. of Futurama. Very if solid. You, there, there, there's a bit of a pull, a push against uh, Black Mirror that I feel like could have oh, been yeah. funnier. And it's just like there, there are some things I feel like need more polish. But otherwise, yeah, good. Yeah, if you if, if you love Futurama and you're like, oh, I wonder what they're up to these days, I think you will be well served by watching Futurama on Hulu. It's back again, baby, and that's great to see. So, uh, Jeff, what else have you been watching? I watched another documentary. Um, this is a, a documentary uh, um, that I saw on Amazon Prime Streaming. It is called Just One Mile. 
with a period after each of those words. Just what is your reaction, Jeff? Mile. What is your reaction to like to like movies that play around with the, the punctuation? Because I'm gonna be honest, it annoys me. Like face off, face slash off. A perfect mm. movie sullied by a baffling title, in my opinion. I don't just, understand the slash there, but okay. Yeah. yeah. Just dot one dot mile. What do you think? Like what what is your initial I like reaction? that because it adds it, it, it adds gravitas mm-hmm. to what is happening here. Which it forces movie, a pause between each it, word. And right? and in, in this movie earns the pause. Let me say that, Dave. It earns Ooh. Ooh. the pause. Okay. All uh, right. This is what I was thinking about when you were talking about the deepest breath, because yeah. uh, just one mile. <laughs> Which must be said that way every Indeed. time you mention the name. Yep. Uh, it, what if I told you, fellas, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there was a race that takes place in Tennessee every year that is a 1.1 mile loop, one, a single mile that gains 340 feet of elevation Man, <laughs> and then descends that same 340 feet back to the start. Oh, yeah. and just one mile. The, how bad? How bad could it be? You know, just one mile. You start racing, and you do not stop until the last person quits. <laughs> so, so there's some years where people don't finish or is there most there is there is a 20 minute time limit for you to complete the mile Uh you have to do the mile in 20 minutes if you do not if you're not back at the starting line for the next lap within 20 minutes you are eliminated from the competition they go until there are no people left so it's it not is, really you, just one mile. You have no, you have no idea how long the race is going to go. Uh, so it could be like 20 feet, right? Like 20 feet? Th- theoretically, right? Well, if no, everyone, if everyone it would drops. never be 20 feet. Yeah, I, I know, but I'm just saying like... Drops. It uh, would be... They, <laughs> if everyone really just trying to break showed the rules up prepared and decided to walk 20 feet and all stopped. <laughs> yes. yes. Theoretically, that would be within the rules, but that yes. would that's, never that's, happen. That's all, that's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> the, What's theoretically much possible? more likely what happened the, the year previous to the year that the, this documentary is shot is it went for over 30 hours and 90 miles. So Seems that bad. is the equivalent of running up and down Mount Everest. The elevation gain. Oh, I see. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. So I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand. It doesn't like you keep going. You go until you are yeah. incapable of going. I, th- I thought you got, got it. You even passed a mile. That's what I get it. Okay. Yeah, you do a mile. Yeah. You go back to the beginning. You do another mile and you keep going until you do, you can't get there in 20 minutes. 20 minutes to do a mile is a very long time, yes. right? Uh, you know, six minute miles, five minute miles in marathons is common. In fact, you know, very good marathoners, like the world-class Olympic marathoners do it in like yeah. two minutes to something, you know, it's crazy how fast they do miles. Um, so the... The idea here is you have 20 minutes. You got to go up this mountain and down the mountain and back to the start. And you keep going nonstop all night long. There's no, there's no pausing. <laughs> so what common, you know, the, the people that are very good at this will 
do 18 minute miles and give themselves two minutes to eat and drink at the starting line before they have to start the next thing. It is now, people may recall that I have done some endurance running. I've, I've done seven marathons. I've done two Ragnars. Uh, I did a uh, Hood to Coast last year, and I'm gearing up for Hood to Coast in just a few weeks. At the end of August, I will be doing Hood to Coast again. Hood to Coast is a nonstop um, relay race that goes day and night as well, uh, over, I don't know, 30-something hours as well. Um, but I'm not running it all by myself. I'm running with a, a team of people and there are, I have, you know, hours of time when I'm not running. Um, it's still grueling and it's still hard. And I very much relate to this movie and the experience of these people, you know, running in the daytime, running at night, putting their headlamps on, running through the woods in the in pitch black darkness and just continuing to go. I will tell you, I watched just one mile. It is 97 minutes long. I think I was not crying for about three of those minutes. <laughs> it is wow. an incredibly moving experience for me. Now, I, your mileage may vary, but... You're crying because you're about to do this to yourself, Jeff. Nothing like. even remotely <laughs> in the same universe yeah. as mm -hmm. these people do. Uh, these men and women who... <laughs> guys... There's no trophy. There's no prize money. There's no reward of any kind for this race. It's free to enter. And at the beginning, there were 100 people who started. It is it literally just, the point of it is to just test yourself. Mm -hmm. To see what the limits of your capability are. Yeah. And this movie focuses primarily on it, it 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 showcases a lot of personalities of the people that are involved, but it focuses primarily on the guy who won the previous year to when this was filmed, who is an extraordinary human being. Just like an impossible person. He's a former Navy SEAL who just expresses the view that it is 100% a mental exercise. He says, I am an, an ordinary person with an extraordinary capacity to not quit. Like that, just like that is an extraordinary will, just a desire to do it. And he's not this muscle-bound physical specimen. He has this long red beard that goes down to his navel. Uh, he wears, you know, floppy clothes and like button up t-shirts as he's running. And yet he's just decided that he will not stop. And I'm telling you guys, it is one of the most powerful documentaries I've ever watched. I, like I said, I was bawling throughout this just because of, you know, As somebody that has done endurance sports uh, a, a bit, I'm not nowhere near good at them. Um, there is an amazing camaraderie that builds around it because everybody knows how hard it is. Everybody knows. And these guys are competing, men and women are competing against each other, but all of them understand 
why they're there and what it takes to even just decide to do it. The, and, the, and they want to win. They want to crush their opponents. They want to be the last person standing, which is what this is. This is a last person standing event. You go until somebody else cannot physically go until every other person is incapable of putting one foot in front of the other. The movie starts with footage of the previous year when it was down to two people and the la the guy's leg literally would not operate like a human leg anymore. And he collapsed at the finish line for one of the laps and, 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 and lost. So it is, it is like pushing yourself beyond the human limit. And all of them, even though they know they have to out-endure, out-last, out-mental toughness everybody else there, they also love each other and understand what it takes to do that. It is an amazing, an amazing movie. Just, be, just to witness it. It's not particularly sophisticated. It's literally just like documenting this event hearing these people talk to each other, the, the way they support each other, give each other tips. One of the guys, a lot of them show up with teams of support, you know, usually family or friends that are gonna be there that when they get there with two minutes until they have to start the next lap, will, you know, give them water, give them food, you know, put a wet towel over their head, that kind of thing. <clears throat> One of the guys didn't show up with any crew. So all of the other racers that had fallen out before him as he progresses deeper, deeper into the multi-hours, multi-night, day cycle, start deciding they're going to be his crew and are going to help him and do what needs to be done. It's like, I can't even, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing to witness and so inspiring, so powerful, like just the, the human spirit and the will to move forward. And there is one major character in the documentary who, I won't spoil anything, it happens very, very, very early in the documentary, but is dealing with a potential death in the family. And the metaphor that emerges for just moving forward and continuing and pushing through pain and discomfort and unhappiness and sadness in life, and just like the clarity of what they're doing as far as putting one foot in front of the other and moving forward and talking about how like here it's simple. All we have to do is run a mile and all I have to do is keep running a mile up, down, back to the start, go. It's just an amazing documentary. I highly recommend it. I rented it for $4 on Amazon prime. It's one of those, uh, you know, cinema, uh, early cinema, experiences just one mile highest possible recommendation thanks for sharing that jeff that was amazing yeah. yeah this is your invitation to a master class in engineering and design your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the lexus performance line a feeling this dynamic is invite only fortunately you're invited Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus performance line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Uh, I'll mention one other thing before we move on. Um, 
you may have heard that Sinead O'Connor passed away this last week. Yeah. Um, oh, another one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another very talented person um, who passed. She, I think she was only 56, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And very my young. goodness, way so ahead of her time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The things um, that she had to put up with <laughs> that would not even, bl- people wouldn't even blink at today, but she was so ahead of her time, but she was willing to speak out in favor. Sinead O'Connor is largely known for two th- I mean, f- t- to most people, she's she's known for two things. She's performed an incredible cover of Nothing Compares to You and also ripped up a photo of John uh, Pope John Paul II uh, during a performance of Saturday on Saturday Night Live. Um, so those are kind of the things that she's she's largely known for. Obviously, she's also made a lot of music, 10 studio albums, as far as I can recall. Um, there is a documentary on Showtime called Nothing Compares uh, about Sinead O'Connor's life. Uh, I think this is a very good documentary. It do, it takes this approach where you don't have any talking heads inter- uh, talking head interviews on screen. It's all narration. It's all audio narration over you know archival footage, over you know B roll footage, um, to try to kind of create this this mood where you're like trying to you're kind of experiencing her life um, through the film. And I think uh, if you want to learn more about Sinead O'Connor, I think Nothing Compares, the documentary, is a really good way to do that. Uh, I will say kind of a bummer is that it, it covers basically the beginning of her life all the way up through the Saturday Night Live thing and the fallout from that, but not much after oh, that. Not much like in the time between, you know, after the Saturday Night Live thing and present. There's very little of the documentary mm-hmm. that covers that time period. Um, but it is a really compelling, you know, portrait of everything that happened until that time period. And yeah, Jeff, you do see a lot of the stuff that she had to deal with. Um, there was a line in the movie that really stuck with me and that I think is actually really worth remembering right now, uh, as we're going through this current time of the strike, which is one of the people in the movie said, quote, she's taken quite a beating in the world because the world does not take kindly to having its program interrupted. The yeah. smooth the yeah. smooth flow of entertainment must not be interrupted. End quote. Yeah, and um, and we you know we see a lot of that right now. People being like, "Why are the writers complaining? You know, they should just accept. They should get a new job if you don't like it and stop being on strike." You know, and I think, um, and to a much 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 smaller degree, uh, you know, I've certainly experienced this. My guess is you guys experience this, where people will say like. Hey, um, why are you talking on the podcast about the election or or whatever? You know, like the mm-hmm. people people want like they 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 get they want Sinead O'Connor to sing her songs and they want people to they want writers to write their scripts and they want podcasters to podcast their podcasts and you know like people just want to get entertainment and and have a, there be a smooth flow without needing to think about people as whole entire human beings mm-hmm. and. Uh, that's what a documentary like Nothing Compares invites you to do is to think about Sinead O'Connor as an entire human being. And I think it's pretty effective. So, well, the, I, I, go ahead. Jeff. I was going to say the, the the craziest thing about it is that what she was pointing out mm-hmm. was something that has been proven true yep. and proven that true. literally yeah. no one disputes at this point, mm-hmm. which is that yep. the Pope presided over one of the most ghastly and pervasive sexual abuse scandals in the history of human beings and covered it up and did, you know, ha, was responsible for atrocities that no one disputes at this point. 
And she said it before people were willing to admit it. And, and she was the one that suffered instead yeah. of the people who mm -hmm. perpetrated it. Yeah, culture failed her because 100%. like all I remember the you know, post SNL stuff like when I was a kid is she was just the butt of every joke. Like people just made fun of her and her music and her look was often a thing. Just like having a character that, you know, having somebody look like her, they, they were instantly making fun of her. Um, yeah, I want to check out this documentary, Dave. And I also want to say like, man, talk about somebody who culture has failed. And she, yeah, she was proven right. And it kind of there was something remarkable about somebody like her who was kind of at the top of her game, like was a best-selling, you know, artist and took this chance and took this risk. And we see this occasionally, you know, among celebrities. And I think it's always heartening to see people take a stand like that. Well, one thing that's very clear uh, from the documentary and from the stuff we see is just that she always operated on her own terms, mm -hmm. right? Like she, she never lived life or did things really for other people. Like she wasn't trying to be like, she never thought like, Oh, is this going to make me look bad? You right, know, like right. she never thought that she just, she, she acted, be, you know, and, and tried to take actions that she thought were right. And that's something that mm -hmm. is admirable. I think there are a lot of great write-ups about her and her life too. Like if yeah, you want to catch up magazine profiles that probably honestly give more life. detail around um, yeah. the time, the time post SNL, but uh, yeah, nothing compares. It's on Showtime, which I think you can get now on Paramount Plus with Showtime or whatever the heck it's called these days. Uh, and, but yeah, documentaries, nothing compares. A lot of, was, a lot of documentaries this week, Jeff. Yeah, it's yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff. The, yeah. uh, it, it was, it's always awesome to see, you know, I was, I'm a huge Prince fan and yeah. I loved seeing how he spoke of her um, mm -hmm. because he wrote Nothing Compares to You and gave it to her. And he always talked about it as her song. Like he, yeah. he, did, he, he released a version where he, he sings in and I love it. He always talked, he just talked about her with such reverence. And to think of how young she was when that Saturday Night Live thing happened. Yeah. And just the yeah. torrent of, I mean, it was pre-internet, pre what we deal with now as far as, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the way people deal with hate online. But my God, she was a pariah. And it just, this incredibly promising career just got torched because she had the gall to say something to point out to people that this horrible thing was happening. It's, she used her platform. She used a, a massive national television audience to say something important and relevant, and she was decimated for it. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. You know what's also weird, Jeff, is um, there is some, you know, at the end of most documentaries, there's some explanatory text at the end that's like, so-and-so did this after this. There's one piece of text that I thought was kind of curious, which is that, it says that Prince declined to let the filmmakers use um, Nothing Compares to You in the film. He, um, he never let anybody use any music, which is why mm, yeah, such yeah, a... Yeah. I mean, you know, I, yeah. I've, I've been so mad about um, what was Kingsman. the, the Kingsman, Kingsman sequel because yeah. his mm -hmm. estate just like, sure, we'll take the money. He never would have let that happen. Mm, mm, he wrote m songs for movies, but he's like, I will write you one. That's This is my song. If you I want see. one, yeah. Girl 6 or Batman mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. I will write you one. But you're not going to get my songs. And so, yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay, I don't think it had sense. anything to do with her. In, well, in yeah, with Prince or... or I mean, that's my... Yeah, I, I could be yeah. wrong, but I, yeah, that's that, my that, that, that fits. That, that fits. But it, it was very weird because we get to that moment in the movie where they're talking about that song and they don't play this they play all the <laughs> other songs you know but they don't play that song so anyway that was uh did, did you see jeff by the way uh his second film is on max right now under the cherry moon yes yeah 
That was that's not as great as Purple Rain, but very interesting movie. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, that's nothing compares. Uh, love the documentation, uh, the documentaries. We, we talked about four documentaries uh, this week on the podcast. So uh, check them out. Obviously, we always list what we've been watching in the show notes as well. Let's do uh, a few weekly plugs. Weekly plugs, the part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. Guys, you know, something I didn't mention during uh, what we've been watching is I finished watching Secret Invasion. Uh, You're the, the only person on the planet. I'm one of the dozen people that finished watching Oh, yeah, watching Secret that Invasion. show was on. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, I it, it gives me no joy to report that the show is very very bad, um, and not only it's it's not only just poorly made, but it's one of those shows that actively makes everything that came before it worse. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> that retroactively yeah. changes things so that things are worse. Anyway, I wrote all about it in detail. Um, so if you want to know some of the changes that it makes to Marvel lore without watching the show, head on over to decodingeverything.com. Uh, and check out my post about Marvel's Secret Invasion, which I called a two hundred plus million dollar disaster, because uh, it was pretty pretty bad, pretty bad. All right, Devinder Hardware, your weekly plug. Sure, I want to shout out the latest episode of the Engadget Podcast. We talked about Samsung's latest uh, big product event, their unpacked event in Seoul, where they debuted a whole bunch of new foldable phones. I'm still not fully sold on these things, but uh, people like them. Samsung is doing a pretty good job at making them. So, you know, check it out. We have a good conversation from people who actually do like foldables. So, good episode. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug? Hey, if you like limericks, or even if you don't, I sell them. <laughs> Especially if you, especially if you don't, especially how, if you when don't. you should patronize Jeff Kanata. Yeah, uh, mm. cameo.com/slash Jeff Kanata. If you've heard me make limericks on this show, you could have one made, tailor made, just for you. Uh, tailor Swiftly made, just for you. Uh, it'll cause an earthquake in your city. Um, <clears throat> just for me delivering it on the internet. Love it. I, love it. I uh, I have a great time making these limericks and recording them and uh, giving them to folks. I've done them for all kinds of different occasions, anniversaries, birthdays, just because anything, any reason, uh, I will make one bespoke just for you and deliver it. Uh, and folks have really enjoyed it. I have a, over 135 star reviews on my Cameo page. Uh, and uh, it's just been a delight kind of interacting with people in this way. So consider it. Cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Of course, I also want to plug the Patreon at patreon.com slash film podcast. That's how you can support this podcast. Keep it going. Uh, you can get uh, ad access to ad-free episodes as well as exclusive After Darks. And of course, whenever we can, we try to release our reviews early for our patrons. Um, we've done that with both Barbie and Oppenheimer. Also have done it with a few other movies like Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. So thanks to everyone at patreon.com slash film podcast who supports the show. We never want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. You can always support us by leaving a podcast review for us or uh, sharing about our podcast on Instagram. Head on over to instagram.com slash the filmcast pod. Share one of our reels, won't you? Let people know more about the podcast. All right, folks, let's get to our review. Of Barbie. Hey, Barbie. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. You can find me under the lights, diamonds under the 
Welcome to the Filmcast review of Barbie. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Barbie suffers a crisis that leads her to question her world and her existence, end quote. Joining us for this review of Barbie, she is a film critic at The Griot. Brooke Obi. welcome to the Filmcast. Hi, thank you for having me. It's so great to have you here, uh, Brooke. Uh, I, I am curious, you know, for, for this movie, I, th- I think we all had probably a different set of expectations going into this. Uh, huge Greta Gerwig fans here on the podcast. Love Little Woman. Lady Bird is great. Um, kind of what, what was your relationship to Greta Gerwig and, and what were your expectations as you headed into this film? So I did not have high expectations because I was such a Little Woman fan when I was a kid that I was super disappointed when that with her version mm. of it. And I didn't really care for Lady Bird. So I didn't have like amazing expectations. And then I saw the trailer and I was like, okay, well, this looks fun. So, and I love, I mean, it was just because I, you know, I played with Barbies. I loved Barbies. So it kind of was giving me that feeling that I had, you know, thinking about, Little Women and how much I loved Little Women as a kid. So I was like, mm, I hope she, I hope she gets it right. And I feel like this is definitely my favorite Greta Gerwig movie <laughs> that she's made. So yay, yay! So tell us your <laughs> overall thoughts on the movie. What did you think of Barbie overall? Overall, um, I love the production design. I think it was so cool that they made. Um, Barbie, uh, the they said they made her twenty three percent smaller, bigger than her space, so that she looked like a toy. So I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, I really enjoyed the feminist rants, like <laughs> that gave me a lot of life. Uh, you know, I feel like that's pretty typical in a Greta Gerwig movie too. Um, so I enjoyed that. Um, you know, I have notes. I have notes. <laughs> um, right. But I, I did. Uh, I thought it was fun. I thought it was funny. Um, I laughed out loud, which I don't usually do in comedy. So, you know, this was good. <laughs> All right. Maybe we can talk about some of those notes during the spoiler section. Um, yes. <laughs> looking forward to hearing about it. But Devendra Hardaway, let's go to you. What did you think of Greta Gerwig's Barbie? You know what? I think this movie is is kind of a miracle. You know, sometimes we watch movies and we're like, how... How did any of this actually get made? There's a whole podcast about how did this get made. Um, but watching this movie, which I love so much, I think it's it's superb on so many levels. Um, but I just kept thinking to myself, like, how did Mattel just, they were like, okay with this? They're cool with this? Because we just saw a movie uh, several months ago, the Mario movie, which I thought was perfectly fine and fun, uh, but was so watered down and was so, like, so safe. So, like, on training wheels, that movie. Uh, whereas this one's like, no, it's directly bashing Mattel and um, the way, you know, girls have relationships to Barbie and the the kind of false images that the, bar- the Barbie model set up, um, but also a patriarchy and also of capitalism. And there's an ad for a Barbie that I never thought Mattel would allow. It seems like something somebody would put up on YouTube and just be like, hey, this is a Lonely Island's Barbie commercial or something like that. Uh, no, I, I think this movie is remarkable. Um, at the same time, I do wonder, is like, man, it is brave. I guess it is brave that Mattel allowed this out there. It's also going to make 
a lot of money for Mattel, <laughs> like hundreds of millions of dollars for Mattel. So, you know, uh, I almost wonder if the commentary would be more fitting if it wasn't exactly Barbie so that they could just comment it, comment on it without benefiting Mattel itself. Uh, but you know, beyond that, I, I think it's a, it's a really fun movie. It looks like nothing else this year except Asteroid City, which um, I, I will talk mm. about on another episode. Uh, but you know, it, it, the look of it is so interesting. Um, it's kind of a flashback to when movies were just had beautiful painted sets. I think it's all well written. There's a lot going on here because it's an it's an existential crisis, but it's also about the larger systemic forces that kind of defines our world and how like fucked up so much of it is. And I think that part of it is really interesting. Love everybody in the cast. I think it's incredibly well written. This is also one of those movies where it's like every scene is just like you're there for a reason. You're doing work and you're not just you're not just fluff. You're not. This is a two hour long movie. It doesn't feel padded in any way. So and then it has some great, great sequences. Like I cannot wait to watch this with my wife. Um, my wife is also a big America Ferrera fan. So I think that it's maybe a little bit of a tough watch for her, too, because this movie also goes places that I didn't expect. So, yeah, I come away loving this movie and um, shout out to uh, Ryan Gosling for being hilarious. Like we, we know he can be silly, but he's generally great here. Also, I think Sima Liu is better in this movie than he was in um, in his own in Shang-Chi, like where he had like zero charisma here. He's at least actually having fun, but maybe he needed he needed Ryan Gosling to like play off against or something mm. to make it happen. So, yeah, I, love I this just movie. I, I just saw Simu in um, a, the other two. Yeah, the other two. A, yeah. Uh, and he's very good in that as well. He's funny yeah. when he's bouncing off against funny people. So I don't know what happened with Shang-Chi, but, you know, in both mm. cases, very much willing to make himself the butt of the joke, yes. which is. Yes. Yeah. Cool yeah, to see for a, an up and coming leading man. Yeah. I have this like uh, Dave Chen operating theory I'm working on, guys. You know, I'll just I'll just float it out there. But it's like I also have it, a Dave Chen operating it goes, theory. <laughs> it goes something <laughs> we all in do, for in fact. two decades now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it goes something it goes something like this. It's like like uh, humanity is okay with uh, billionaires if we can tell stories about them, basically. Like uh, Batman it, like it, we like to imagine there's we're okay everyone's okay with Bruce Wayne because he's like we imagine him crime fighting we're sure. also okay with giving Mattel you know probably billions of dollars as long as we can make fun of make fun of them a little bit which is what's going to happen it's yeah. very half baked it's i'm still working on it i'm still working on it Je jeff canada Mattel, yeah. <laughs> the the Mattel Batman theory the Mattel they, Batman theory those yeah, are the I two guess. canonical billionaires right <laughs> Mattel and only, Batman. the only two the only ones that are worth considering um jeff canada uh tell us about your thoughts on barbie i guess you could say my thoughts on barbie are best summed up in the form of a limerick you know uh this is brooke's first time here on the film cast maybe we should explain why yeah. i apologize brooke i would not want to subject you to this no <laughs> one wants it um if you imagine our podcast like a big monolithic corporation uh dave would be the guy sitting behind the half circle desk surrounded by lots of other dudes dictating what we do and in this case he has de decided that it is imperative that each episode have a limerick and it has fallen to me to carry that burden. I don't like it. Devendra doesn't like it. None of us likes it. But Dave rules this corporation with an iron patriarchal fist. And that's just <laughs> the way it is. I am the hapless Will Ferrell of the film cast. That is yeah. All right. So, Jeff, thank you for that introduction. Hit us with a the limerick. These days it takes retro IP 
to make cultural commentary. Despite what it seems, the house ain't the dream. It's how much better we all can bar be. Hey. <laughs> okay, that was very good, Jeff. Very that good. That was very good. Yeah. Thank you. I love I love the when you know when the word has a double meaning. Very <laughs> nicely done, Jeff. <laughs> I also loved this movie. I walked in the door after seeing this movie and told my wife, You I will take the kids, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. call a friend, set up a time. <laughs> you need to go see this. I tried to take her to the screening I went to, but we couldn't uh, secure childcare. Uh, we just, we don't, my wife and I don't get to see movies together anymore. It's just the way it is. But I was like, I will, whatever it takes, I need you to go see this in the movie theater, not wait till we, it comes home. Um, and I wish she had had an opportunity to see it before we recorded, because I would love to know what my wife's uh, reaction to the movie was. I saw this at a uh, at at one of those um, what do they call them the uh, it was like pre screenings but they were the open to the public yeah. they had like mm. these these yeah these fan screenings these kind mm -hmm. of um, event screenings and I would say easily eighty percent of the audience I was in there with was dressed up it was yeah. a whole thing pretty wild. Uh, anyway. I, wish, I wish there was like a broader note about that. I guess I noticed people were dressing in pink, but for some reason yesterday, I was dressed in all blue. So I was just like this one guy in the middle of the crowd, surrounded by super people. I want to see this movie. Yeah, That was me the first time I saw it. And the guy next to me was like, so no pink. So the second time I saw it, I definitely you gotta, wore pink, you gotta and pink I, it I brought it today. Devendra in his He-Man Woman Haters Club shirt. Yeah, it's like, no, I want to see the movie. I'm not a Riddick guy. Yeah. Uh, I loved this movie. I think it is a marriage of a very, very funny, goofy comedy with biting, insightful social commentary, which is a very difficult thing to pull off, I think. And this movie pulls it off uh, effortlessly. It, it, is, it, it is a wonderful homage to the IP. I grew up playing Barbie. I, I grew up uh, on a cul-de-sac and uh, there were a bunch of families with kids my age and I was the only boy. So it was like me and seven girls in the, in the cul-de-sac. So I would like bargain free time and I'd be like, okay, I'll play Barbies if you guys will play tag with me or whatever. Aww. And so I Were played you the Ken or the Allen in this situation? Oh, I was, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't aware of Allen. I, you know, I, I love Allen. Ken. Yeah. I mean, Allen may have come after much. I don't know. Whatever it was, but I played lots of Ken. I'll tell you, lots of Ken. Um, anyway, <laughs> I loved the homage to the IP and the references to all the, you know, all the real deep cuts. Uh, if you're a, a big Barbie fan or have knowledge of that stuff, I like how the movie took time to actually be about that history and that lore. Um, it, it very much reminds me of the Lego movie, which uh, the year it came out was my top movie of the year. And I think this movie does mm -hmm. equally well service to that IP, the IP that it is, you know, its namesake, but also in the same way that the Lego movie did was, is about something. And I think Devinder, you're right to call out um, Mario, which, had no intention of even attempting to be about anything. It just, mm -hmm. here's the IP. But I love that um, this movie, you know, the, they had the, the confidence to use these filmmakers uh, to, that, that, you know, you are used to making movies that are about something and leverage that on an IP that has such a big cultural footprint. It's I, I had an out-of-body experience watching the opening credits 
and all the opening credits are in like Barbie font, right? Yeah. And pink Barbie font. And it was like written by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. And I was yeah. like, wow, what a what a world we live in today, you know? Yeah. I uh, mean, these are filmmakers that very much know how to make movies about, uh, you know, quarter and midlife crises, you know? And so in a, in a, in a, <laughs> in a it's really interesting to make that about Barbie, I do not think this is a movie that is for kids. I do not think this is a movie. This is a movie for people that grew up with Barbie, mm -hmm. that yeah. grew up playing Barbie and now are adults. This it does is, not feel like a kid's movie to me. It's yeah. America Ferrera's movie. Um, yeah. To me, I thought definitely she was the star of the movie and that made me feel like comfortable being there too because I felt like this was marketed to the millennials of mm. America Ferrera's generation. You know, it's not Gen Z. They're not, they're, I don't know, are they Bratz people? I don't know who, who they play with. <laughs> wow. That was Brad. after my time. I don't I know. That's but definitely for us. No, I saw, I'm, I'm with you with the nostalgia. I saw yeah. Totally Hair Barbie, which was one of my favorite Barbies growing up. Like, I haven't seen that in like 20 years. So, no. <laughs> yeah. But the clothes, you know, I loved it. I have more questions for Brooke, but Jeff, I, I want to make sure you finish what you're saying. Before yeah, I, I, go I to just, again. just to wrap up, I, um, I, I was a little worried at the beginning. Because it's the movie begins almost exactly like the Lego movie begins, mm -hmm. almost like note for note. Like, hey, we're well, going to start where there's the, one thing. There's the one thing, Jeff, that the Lego movie doesn't have a nod to freaking 2001. Well, <laughs> yes. of a Barbie movie. I don't mean that scene. You know, that's brilliant yeah. and, and yeah. wonderful. Um, uh, but but, you know, this this notion of the toy mm -hmm. having this perfect existence as a toy having a musical number talking about how great the existence is as a toy and then the real world sort of encroaching on that. And I went, Oh no, is this really going to play out uh, as a, as in that same template, even though that, you know, I loved that for the Lego movie, but very quickly, this movie kind of establishes its own identity and it does things and goes places that I did not expect. And I thought were brilliant. I think the, the vocabulary of this movie, as far as establishing you know, the magic of this movie, the, the non-reality fantasy elements of this movie is, is really, I love, I love how bold and effortless it is. It's like, don't even worry about it. It just works. And you go along with it. Uh, I agree with Brooke that the production design is worth seeing the movie alone for. The fact that they actually built this stuff is so delightful to see. Um, I, it's a home run for me. I, I, this movie could be on my top 10 of the year list. Uh, mm -hmm. not, it, it wasn't on my top 10 grossing <laughs> year list. Listen, which, we, uh, we are all taking the beating <laughs> on the summer mistake. this year. Uh, yeah, but yeah, man. this movie is a delight. I loved it. It's so fun. It's so funny. It's goofy and also serious at the same time. And uh, it's, a, it's a home run for me. Uh, I want to just give a shout out also, not just to the production design and, and the art direction, which you, you all have shouted out and I think is excellent, right? Like visually it looks incredible. But just like the conception of the world, like the mm -hmm, idea yeah. of Barbie land and how that all functions and like yeah. the mechanics of it, uh, I think are just really smart. It's a world that makes you want to learn more about how it works and, and yeah. explore it more. Um, Brooke, I, I am curious, you know, you, uh, we've heard about Jeff's uh, childhood experiences of Barbie. Curious about what your attitude was about Barbie going into this movie and how you feel like the movie handled the idea, Barbie, you know, we can save some more details for spoilers, but I guess like, um, were you somebody who had a lot of affection for Barbie and thought that the movie honored that? Or did you have a love-hate relationship? Like, what, what, what did you think about Barbie growing up? So I think the important thing um, that I remember from my childhood um, was that my mother went out 
Uh, we lived in Nebraska and she went every to every store that she could to find black Barbies for us to play with. Um, and so I didn't grow up with this concept of looking at something that like didn't look anything at all like me that I would literally never be. Um, so, which, you know, is a huge criticism of Barbie, um, that they try to address in the movie. Um, but yeah, I had a lot of affection, um, for Barbie. I was one of those people who played with Barbies too long. Um, you know, I, I definitely remember the day when people were like, you're still playing with Barbie. Like, you know, it was, it was, it was know, Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, you know, I, you know, as a writer now and a creator myself, like it was a place where I learned, you know, how to imagine and how to bring things to life, you know, out of my own mind um, and to trust that and to do it by myself if I had to. Um, so I, I did have a lot of affection for that. Um, I, I don't think that the movie honored that, which is, you know, mm. a part of my critique. Um, there was a great cast, um, but I definitely feel like it was diversity for diversity's sake. This was mm. very much stereotypical Barbie's like story. We don't really hear all from the other diverse Barbies um, as far as, you know, like the, the wheelchair Barbie. I think her no name. Lines. No, yeah. there's two wheelchair Barbies and they say yep. nothing during the yep. entire movie. Like there's, mm -hmm. you know, I had my mom bought me Barbies that also were like from different countries. Like I had like a Barbie, um, Barbie and a Ken from Spain. And they had like, you know, the traditional dress and all of that. Like I learned things about other countries from Barbie. So like wow. here it just kind of felt like, yes, we're sprinkling something people in, but like if all the Barbies were white, like it would not have changed the character that we saw. It would not change the dialogue that we saw. It wouldn't have changed anything at all. So I definitely feel like, you know, um, there's a, there's, you know, a definitely a, a critique for me mm -hmm. of, you know, diversity for diversity's sake and not, you know, anything concrete there. Right. That's fast. That's fascinating. Like that, that, Bar playing with Barbies was like a generative space for you when growing up. And like the movie uh, kind of didn't reach that height. Uh, I haven't heard that perspective. Um, I'll share a few thoughts and then I'll, we get to spoilers for, uh, for Barbie. I thought, I, you know, as with many movies I've watched this year, <laughs> I thought the first half to two thirds of this movie was awesome. I loved it. I was like, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Like so, so good. So smart. So funny. I didn't know that, that Greta Gerwig and Noah Bamba could write like something that was so, um, you know, that uses IP in such a, in such a funny way. That's like, like it feels like a conventional comedy for much of the movie where there's like, mm -hmm. um, big setup payoff, setup payoff, like, visual gags that look like they cost, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars just for like a five second joke in the movie. Um, I loved it. And then it starts commenting on the world of Barbie. And I'm like, Oh, this is great. And then by the end, I feel like it kind of collapses under the weight of its own ideas. Like it's trying to throw too many things at you. There's characters in the movie that literally just say the themes of the movie, which I always am not a fan of. Um, and so I, I do think it kind of loses it by the end. That said, had a great time watching it. The cast is amazing. The design is amazing. It's it's fun. It's also, in my opinion, very weird. Um, and I'm I salute weird Weirdness movies. Is good. Uh, being released in theaters. Apparently, the budget, the marketing budget for this movie was estimated at around 150 million dollars. I salute 
putting $150 million behind weird-ass films and putting them in theaters, and also those movies making uh, a shit ton of money. So yeah. I'm, uh, I'm fine with all that. So overall, like, I still have positive feelings, but it got a little rough at the end, and we'll talk about that momentarily. So anyway, uh, any other last-second thoughts before we get to spoilers, or shall we hit it? Here we go. I do want to shout out, uh, this movie solidifies my idea that Will Ferrell needs to play Elon Musk in the eventual <laughs> Twitter movie, because like a failed so-called genius CEO, just like Manchild leading Twitter, especially after the news this year. Like, I want to see that movie happen or something. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it'll be called the Twitter movie, Devendra. It might be called, it'll be the, called X, the X, the X yeah. movie. So, yeah. Yeah. Which will make it very hard to Google. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. It'll Indeed. make many things very hard. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> okay. Let's get to spoilers for Barbie starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth. Inconceivable. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. All right. Let's start real quick by talking about the the setup part of this movie. I, I, I love this whole thing. Barbie land, the idea of Barbie land in the real world. And Jeff, as you said, the vocabulary they use, uh, my favorite part of the movie is when somebody asks, so is Barbie some kind of imaginary world or more of a this thing? And then everyone just responds, yes, at the same yes. time. Yeah, it's like, yeah. doesn't, doesn't matter. Don't even doesn't think matter. too hard about the mechanics. How do you get that. there? Uh, you uh, take rollerblades and then a Whatever. boat. Like it's, that's, you know, <laughs> it's, there's no. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a reminder of like movies from the 80s and 90s to like, like Muppet movie, you know, logic or something Definitely like that. Definitely like, great just, pull. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love, I love that. Like anybody could do, it. like Will Ferrell and his team could just do it. They could just <laughs> yeah. go there. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, but I, I love, like, you know, uh, as you said, Brooke, like the the way that the 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 characters and the space interact is really amazing. You know, uh, Margot Robbie as stereotypical Barbie, like taking a shower, but there's no water. Drinking cup, but there's no water in it. You know, like no milk in it. Um, like all the mechanics of the world are really great. And it reminds you of like, oh, how these things used to be played with uh, when we were children. If she needs um, to get down from the second floor, she just floats down because somebody can pick her up. Did you have any kind of favorite components of that, uh, Brooke, or, or anything you didn't like about that? love that no that was my that was definitely really great because it it did give me the actual feeling of you know playing with dolls and then of, i mean yes it was all it was full nostalgia even traveling back and forth i definitely had the role of ray barbie doll i definitely had the camping uh trailer camping barbie mm. so no i loved i love the movement of the bar i mean margot robbie i think is just really really great at like acting like a doll i thought she did <laughs> a really great job with that so no it was it was great i love that yeah. So then uh, something, some some stuff starts happening to Margot Robbie, right? She starts like cellulite starts appearing on her body and uh, she stops uh, being able to walk with completely, I don't even know what that foot formation on is called. On tiptoes. <laughs> on tiptoes, right? Like yeah. she stops, uh, her, her mm-hmm. the back of her foot starts hitting the floor. She starts thinking about death and you realize that the person who is playing with her uh, probably is also thinking about death, and that's what's going on. So Barbie goes to the real world to try to figure out what's happening, and then you realize, like, oh, the dolls can like manifest in reality. Um, I do think there's a lot of this movie having its cake and eating it too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it is a critique of Barbie while at the same time 
benefiting Barbie and Mattel, making Barbie and Mattel millions of dollars. We'll never get past um, that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I I do think um I do think that makes it a little bit different than the Lego movie because I I don't think the Lego movie ever tr- it tried to critique like some very minor components of uh Lego, mm-hmm. like the idea of using like how instruction, you play with it. The instru- yeah. yeah, how you play yeah. with them. But it wasn't a critique of the mm-hmm. world that Lego has created. Do you know? I don't um, think they've created the same world. I feel like there's, you know, there's been a lot more pressure on Barbie and and what yes. she's responsible for than sure. like, like yeah, a, yeah, it's absolutely. It's but the, but the, I think this is most clear in the scene when, which I really loved, when Margot Robbie's uh, Barbie goes to confront the child that she thinks is playing with her, and that gets completely eviscerated. Don't don't interact with teens. They're scary. <laughs> That's number one. That's yes. rule number one. Mm-hmm. And and Margot Robbie's just so happy, like she thinks she's gonna be welcomed mm-hmm. like with so much, you know, warmth. And then to to get that response is like so crushing. Um but yeah, uh Brooke, I, I guess I'm curious, like what did you think of some of the critiques that this movie leveled against Barbie? So I definitely feel like Greta was trying to make this critique proof (laughs) by putting all of the criticisms that could possibly be um, in the movie itself. Um, But I don't know, that scene especially was very much like the time that Sheryl Sandberg realized that Lean In was a bunch of crap Um, (laughs) and was horrible advice for anybody who was not a rich white woman with a partner. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know. I just was like, (laughs) I, I... I thought it was it didn't it didn't move me because I felt like I was seeing, you know, the writers try to make sure that whatever we were going to say as audience members that they were going to cover it. Even <laughs> the time right. that um oh I don't I don't I don't want to skip ahead, but um No, no, it's cool. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, there's this moment where the narrator Helen Mirren says like, "Oh, if if you're going to call somebody, if you're going to have a doll call themselves ugly, don't have her be played yeah. by Margot Robbie." Like, why not just take that out? Like it's nonsense. Like it's I, a I joke. Like, I think it's a joke. It's, I mean, I, people I, laugh. Yeah. People laughed, yeah. but it's also just like you know that friend that's self-aware but doesn't change? Yeah. So it's like <laughs> self-awareness is step one, honey. Like, move on to the next part of that, it. That line was weird to me because I'm like, okay, but didn't the filmmaker write that line? You know, like, it, yeah, it's like, <laughs> I, I agree with you. It's kind of like um, lampshading, I think, is the technic- is the ter- term that's used for this, right? When, like, the movie criticizes itself so that you can't do it. And I do think there's a lot of that in this film. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's sort of a uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, though. Mm-hmm. Because exactly. if we, they we don't, would, if, if there is no yeah. commentary like that about Barbie as a phenomenon, mm-hmm. then everybody is complaining about how the movie is yeah. toothless and unwilling to confront that stuff. I, I kind of like the way it was handled just because uh, Helen Mirren's delivery in that line uh, just feels like a note from a friend, like note to the filmmakers, uh, Margot Robbie, probably <laughs> not the best person to make this point. And I think that, yeah. Yeah. Brooke, go ahead. Yeah. I, I'm also just wondering like, why couldn't her arc be something different? Like why yeah. does her arc have to be, Oh, now I'm ugly because, and I was also just like, why, why are you ugly? I didn't. She has oh, one was, cellulite. She has, she has one patch cellulite of cellulite. And, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like she always had cell. Like she's mm-hmm. had at this point in the movie, she's had cellulite. She's had flat feet for a while. But it's like Ken taking over her house, and she can't talk him out of it. Is now why she's ugly? I guess I. I don't. Or it was. I don't. I don't really understand quite how she got to that place where she was just like 
now I'm ugly and weird. My interpretation wasn't so much now I'm ugly. It's I'm no longer perfect. Yeah, I'm broken. Life is no longer perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This this notion of yesterday was perfect, tomorrow's going to be perfect, every day is perfect, has been shattered in in a number of ways. And now perfection is no longer attainable. And what do I do in a world that is imperfect, flawed, and I have to think about death? You know, like that, that to me, it wasn't so much ugliness. It's more like flaws. The I world has would, flaws. I, I, if she had said that, I would, we, there would have been no need for the Helen Mirren line, which again, yeah. was a good joke. I mean, people laughed in the audience, but I feel like I could at least be like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I'll follow you here with that. Like, yes, I, yeah. that, but also, uh, yeah, I'm if you should have been a co-writer on the Barbie movie, is, is what we're learning. I mean, yes, they yeah. didn't, it wouldn't take any of my letters. <laughs> um, Brooke, go, go ahead, go, what you, finish what you're saying, Brooke. Go I ahead. just, I just kind of felt like, I don't know, it's just kind of a very, mm -hmm. it, it was give. I feel like Greta Gerwig's movies all kind of give this like very like white feminist idea of like what is bad and how we fix it. And it just mm -hmm. goes to that, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, your life isn't perfect anymore. Like. Uh, it, it's sort of and having me, a latina like i mean yeah, having a latina yeah. be the person i mean like it, it felt very white feminist fantasy to me like mm -hmm. having, having a, latina a latina woman like help her self-actualization you know yeah, yes yeah. and be the source of that and be the cause mm -hmm. of that and i was just like yeah it's right. like so many stories about your your housekeeper or something yeah. uh, helping you find yourself uh th th there is that i will say uh, i think one that the whole point there is like she is stereotypical barbie and it seems like she took that particular role pretty like that's her identity that's everything so i related more to like an ex existential crisis like well that that's what i was it's all i ever was now i'm not stereotypical right now i'm mm. not the prime example of everything that barbie should be so who am i and i i I feel like, uh, yeah, that that's like very some uh, something we'd relate to, like in middle age, you know, where you start to question yourself. We haven't really talked much about the America Ferrera stuff. And I just want to say, like, again, uh, sometimes this year, like we we've gotten movies that just feel like so devastating in some ways, and the the story of a mother who just cannot connect with her daughter anymore and yeah. is just like spiraling through like a, a lens of depression just feels very real. Like I, my wife and I, are dreading that moment. When our our daughter is teenage a teenager, years, yeah. teenage years are going to be rough, and yeah. for moms especially, and I think like the movie specifically says that too. Like dads don't get to see the, the worst of it. I love the dad too. The size of a dad. I'm learning Spanish. <laughs> I'm contributing. Um, so funny. Yeah. I think all those little bits are really are really sharp and really yeah. smart and funny. Yeah. I, I have some more thoughts on that, Jeff. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I know we cut you off earlier, Jeff. No, Did that's you? okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, um, I, my, my biggest qualm with the Helen Mirren, I mean, if you can get Helen Mirren, you always get Helen Mirren, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's just a given, but it doesn't make any sense. It Rhea Perlman should be, have been the narrator, yeah. right? It mm -hmm. just makes sense thematically yeah. that Rhea Perlman yeah. is narrating this story. Mm -hmm. And then we meet her and then we find out who she is. And she or was Helen narrating. Mirren like played it, Helen Mirren play Ruth or something. But like, what, yeah, but that. why? Yeah. Why have them be two different? Yeah. Why? There's why have? Three, yeah. There are three narrators because Lizzo <laughs> narrates the first part of it. Right. She's like well, singing all, all the movements every <laughs> yeah. single day of everything that's mm. happening. So yeah, there's it's three Which, people telling the story. I yeah. thought it was very funny, by the way. Yeah, it was great. The, it was great. The second version of the song where she, where, you know, the death version of the song was very. <laughs> yeah, good. it was very good. Yeah, very good. But yeah, it's true. It's like this would be like. 
having Brian Cox and Albert Finney in a movie. You know, like, <laughs> why would you do this to me, Born Ultimatum? Anyway, it, I agree. It's not necessary. It's not necessary. Well, um, it just feels like we don't know. We don't have any context as to who Helen Mirren is other than she's Helen Mirren. Yeah. Like, yeah. But we have the perfect narrator. The creator should have been the narrator. It right. doesn't make it just. It, it almost feels like with the opening, because it's the opening that really sets the tone of it. And yeah. So Helen Mirren is God. Right. Like she is just the all seeing yeah. narrator of everything. And if it's Helen Mirren is God, then yes, I understand. She understands everything. But Rhea Perlman yeah. is supposed to be God. Like they make that for very Barbie. clear. For Barbie. Yeah. Yes. yeah. At the end, the for she's Barbie. the one yeah. that Barbie's talking to at the yeah. end. Yeah. He is the yeah. creator. Like yeah. literally the yeah. creator. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's odd. They they probably had the opening for it. Like, I, I don't know. You get a you get a name right there. Wouldn't it be funny if Helen Mirren was narrating our movie? I feel like that's it. That's the joke. And they went for it. Yeah. I I will say so uh going back to the America Ferrera stuff, mm-hmm. um I I really was deeply moved by that whole mm-hmm. uh plot line, this whole subplot. It's flashing back. You think it's the girl that is playing with Barbie, but then it's actually America Ferrera's character that's playing with Barbie. And also, I think Billie Eilish is is like singing that song that's happening in the mm-hmm. background. And I was just like, yeah. um, I felt the full weight of our pop culture <laughs> infrastructure. It's everything. You know, being brought to bear to move me. You know, you have Billy, you know, some of the most talented filmmakers, musical artists, and so on, like to just deliver this emotional gut punch. And uh it well, worked. It worked. It, it, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of what I was trying to get to with uh with the limerick is that it's just a weird place that we're in culturally where, <laughs> you know, these, these films that are ostensibly about children's toys yeah. are made for 30 and 40 year olds mm-hmm. that grew up with them, right? That, that we as a generation or multiple generations at this point um, can only view our world through the lens of these capitalist ideas that were inserted into our brains as very young children like Mm -hmm. the entire prism through which we interpret the world as it is now happens through the 80s and 90s commercials that we were fed like like barbie is a toy yes but she was a commercial right that's what (laughs) the transformers gi joe they're all just commercials basically and I think that it's a very odd, I mean, somebody's going to write a thesis paper on this <laughs> if they haven't already, but mm-hmm. it's such an odd place that in, in generations of kids or generations of adults now, mm-hmm. uh, of which I am one, like we're being the only mainstream big entertainment that we're given is like, hey, remember when you were six? Like, let's reinterpret the world through that lens. Right. It's mm-hmm. very odd. And I don't it's- think my parents' generation had anything like that. <laughs> Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. They had I don't the Brady know. Bunch I don't know if it's like when that came back. Yeah. The what? The Brady Bunch movie? The Flintstones? <laughs> That's movie? not my parents' I was generation. There in the 90s. Yeah. That's the seventies. My parents were having me in that at that time. <laughs> the, yeah. My, my, yeah. For my dad, it would be like if they were making a Lone Ranger movie yeah. that was mm. you know talking about anything remotely anything. interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, like or yeah. I don't know. You know, like if um, if they did a remake of. Um, of uh, American graffiti, you know, mm-hmm. and it was like about that kind of stuff. It's it, it, it just right, there's just right. no comparison. It's it's I weird. I don't know if it's like the only way we can interpret culture, Jeff, but I agree with you completely. It is the culture that is being created. You know, like <laughs> right. it is the only culture that's being fed to us. You know, if you look at the top five 
uh, movies at the box office, it's like pre you know other than Oppenheimer, <laughs> you know, it's like pre existing IP sequels, sequels, you know, pre existing yeah. IP. It's like all that stuff. So I, all I agree. Yeah. These you know, listen, I'm the last person to have any leg to stand on in criticizing it because of my love of these things and love of Marvel and all that stuff. But it is all. Infantile. But it's because of people like it's because of people like you that this world exists. I <laughs> no, I believe it. I, I tell you all the time that I feel like yeah. this is we're in a monkey paw world. Yeah, where I was like, paw this world. I yeah. love yeah. Marvel and Star Wars. It should all be Marvel and Star Wars. It is worth pointing out though, like we see so much garbage come out from from that us reassessing our past and nostalgia repackage. So for us, this feels different. I'd say, and I think it's worth noting when these things are trying to say something and are trying to work with our relationship with these things. And it at least tries, it's not perfect. I think the Lego movie did that pretty well. Um, it is fascinating because yeah, pop culture consumes so much of our lives and it was not always this way. Like the way we live with culture in general is so different. Um, I saw film critic, Matt's all our sites uh, pointing out like, it's really weird. My kids listen to the same music I listened to when I was a kid. And like that, sort of cycle just never dies like we we are in infinite culture you know like yeah, yeah you're gonna have adults trying to reckon with what happened to them in the past and a lot of that's gonna be weird but at least this is interesting at least yeah. it's just trying to say something i guess yeah well, uh, yeah brooke go ahead hit us hit us on, on the point of trying to say something i feel like they're trying to get credit for trying to say something <laughs> rather than actually saying something like it's very like will ferrell kind of spells it out he's like yes like let's talk about these things while also letting me retain all of my power and control like mm. nothing is really nothing shifts even in the Barbie movie world, like nothing really shifts as far as power dynamics. Um, and I don't think that they're trying to, you know, shift power dynamics in, you know, from the audience perspective, like get us to do things in a different way. Like, I don't think that's kind of the purpose at all. It's just, you know, we kind of have to talk about these criticisms that we're probably going to get. And, you know, Let's let's get let's get credit for that while also maintaining everything pretty much the sure. same. Right. Like even the, the status quo is maintained. The status basically. quo is maintained, and I think that that's <laughs> the only way that Mattel puts three hundred million dollars behind a movie is if the status quo can be maintained. Like they're not going to tomorrow have you know a woman executive board. You know, like the mm-hmm. CEO is not suddenly like there's this movie is not going to you know spur people to call for that kind of change to happen um you know we're just going to i don't know i mean enjoy and keep it moving there might i I totally respect what you're saying and i think you're right on a fundamental level but i also think like art can plant seeds right can't like i think i feel like Mm -hmm. one of the reasons that i came home and it's like my wife has to i want you to go see that is that she's kind of going through a work transition right now and she's trying to have the confidence to empower herself to like bet on herself. And I felt like this is one of those movies that you come out going, yeah, you know what? Fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I think I don't, you know, I don't mean to overstate it. And I totally see what you're saying, Brooke. And I think that you have, you know, it's, it's very true, but I also think there's like a spark of something. It's like, it's mm-hmm. better that they're talking about it than not. Maybe. I, I mean, 
it's it's like when Sheryl Sandberg said lean in was actually bad. Like, did she give back the money that she made? Like, no. Like, so I mean, I feel like it's a step one. And I think, you know, there is a way in the world where they could have actually shifted power dynamics in like a real way. Like America Ferreira, you should be CEO now. Like she gets to make ordinary Barbie because some men said this will probably make a bunch of money. Like nothing changes for America Ferreira Mm -hmm. other than like she has a closeness with her daughter, which is really, really great. But she still is the secretary to a bunch of morons. Like nothing, you know what I mean? So I I feel like there, when you want to plant a seed, like I think there are ways, like if that's actually what you want to do, you can do some different things. And I, I feel like if she wanted, you know, to show a diverse world, like, she could have actually done that. But like, even there's a, a really, really gross joke about like the reason why the Barbies, you know, were s- succumbing to patriarchy is because they weren't immune to it. Like the indigenous with smallpox, like why, why, why yeah. mention that? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there are things like if you really, really want to do something, then, a, you yeah, know, yeah. but like, even the, yeah. I, so I feel like the way that she did do it in a way that I, uh, you know, I think, was really powerful and um you know the the greatest fantasy ever is having you know america say you know her feminist you know rant and have that unbrainwashed women i would love that i would love mm-hmm. to be able to go on my rants and have people be like oh my god <laughs> i just i uh, it was like a cloud has lifted from my, you know so i loved that part i feel like that's the thing where it's like you're putting the fantasy into the movie to one day make it a reality you know mm-hmm. like that's a seed for me that somebody could be like you know what i'm hearing what this person is saying and this is at like and things need to actually change. But I feel like overall, like the intention was not to make change, but to definitely get credit for ribbing Mattel, which mm-hmm. then also went on to make Mattel a whole lot of money. And we'll yeah, we're, we're never so. going to escape that. I, I do want to say, if if it ended with America Ferrer becoming CEO, I I would have called more bullshit because the reality on the Barbie of the movie <laughs> on the Barbie movie that would have been more like yes, that's that's entirely what we're saying. It is just a movie, like. It's not going to fix the real world problems. If they did that in the movies, like ah, that's the end of the movie, I would call more bullshit because well, that would never then happen. Then the toy like, coming like to life. Happen. But I think I think I, I, I no. Kind of, I'm, I'm saying like I'm kind of with about... I'm kind of with Brooke on this one. Like yeah. the it, the the point of the movie, you know, mm-hmm. or many points of the movie is to offer some fantasy of what it sure, would be sure, like sure. if you could actually upend the patriarchy. So the idea that even in the fantastical film, um, the the woman can't get the the job that she deserves, presumably, uh, it um, it's sad, right? Like I think, it's, it's I a think we can argue this both ways, guys. But <laughs> if we're talking about like the lasting impact of a movie like this, like if if that ended that way and we come out in the real world and Mattel's just nothing's going to change at Mattel, like that's that's not actually a thing. To me, a false win is more to just hurts more and annoys me more than the reality of like, well, she's here and maybe maybe she'll get something else, but at the end of the day the dumb men still rule the world. And uh, I think the movie kind of acknowledges that too. But so that's, that's what, just what's interesting. Yeah. But what if all of those CEOs going to Barbie land mm-hmm. in its re- restored state, you know, have some, again, the feminist rant sure, unbrainwashes sure. them. You know what I'm like? There was yeah. potential to do something mm-hmm. here and they were just like, no thanks. And so I definitely yeah. think it hurts more to, you know, 
have diversity for diversity's sake to, you know, make all these, you know, weird, not have any indigenous representation as a Barbie. I know America Forever Ferreira is like part indigenous in, in some way, but like not have an indigenous Barbie, but make that really gross joke. Like, I, I don't know. I would much rather a fantasy that actually shows how this can work or what should happen and not just have the women be unbrainwashed and also unbrainwash the men. Cause I feel like that's kind of a part of it too, right? You're showing how gender is harmful to everybody. Like mm-hmm. these yeah. boxes that we're put in by society based on what our assigned gender is, is trapping all of us and it's keeping all of us, you know, pretty much like unhappy to a certain degree. Um, and I don't know. I feel like they threw that even that message away at the end by having her go to the gynecologist as the big joke. Like that felt like kind of bioessentialist to like becoming a real woman means having like a vagina or whatever. And I'm just like, why? Like that's yeah. kind of the whole point of Barbie. Like they don't have, you know, gender is constructed and we are whatever we feel like based on whatever we are. And so I thought that was a really good message. Having all these guys wear pink, like you're showing you, this does not define what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. We can all do this. So why end on that note? So I, that's the part. I, I just felt like that was a little to me, like for giving you know us an idea of what it could be and then just kind of snatching it away because well, this is the real world and it's a Barbie movie and it didn't have to be the real world because it's not the real world. So, yeah, yeah. I'm with you, Brooke. Um, let's talk about one other thing uh, uh, before we wrap up here. Uh, I I do think, um, I think Margot Robbie was excellent in the movie uh, playing stereotypical Barbie. Uh, mm-hmm. She, she ha- has doll-like qualities. Uh, I wanted to shout out Ryan Gosling as Ken. I thought this is one of the best like comedic performances of the year. Uh, really enjoyed kind of his obliviousness and then his subsequent toxicity. Um, it's so easy. Like the ease with which <laughs> yeah. it is imbued in him, I think is, is again, another one of those, like, I, I think smart things this movie is saying, because it does happen. It happens to a lot of guys and they, they just don't understand. They just don't get it, but it, it is a thing. Yeah. Can I play guitar at you? <laughs> Especially that song, so which I've never that really is... listened to the lyrics before. I'm like, oh, that's shitty. That's awful. It's <laughs> <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> During dates. What? But it's, um, it is funny how so much of the music in this movie is from a very specific time period. Yeah. Yeah. That is my yeah. <laughs> my formative years. <laughs> um, Brooke, I am curious what you thought about Ken and whether that worked for you. Um, I thought Ryan Gosling was great. I do think there was too much Ken. I'm sorry. I was like, why is he talking? This is, I, and again, I felt like it was another example mm-hmm. of where she's baking in the criticism, you know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. So that she, and then trying to like rebut it in some way. Like this is Barbie's movie, not Barbie and Ken. So like, why does Ken have mm-hmm. two singing numbers and they're back to back? Very Barbie good has, though. Barbie <laughs> has zero. Barbie yeah. has zero singing moments and Margot Robbie can sing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. why is, why is Ken doing Like, I felt like it was, I felt like he took up. Mm-hmm. It did feel like he took over like As men the do. Sec- yeah. As men do, I felt like he took up quite a bit of space. Just in a the second, Brooke. Let me talk about that. 
perhaps, <laughs> perhaps, uh, you know, uh, obviously a commentary on how men do that, a meta commentary on how men do that in the real world. I'm just, I'm just joking. I agree. I, I agree with you. It did strike me as odd that he was like, he, he arguably has a more interesting arc than Barbie. He does. He does. Yeah. He absolutely does. Cause that's real thing. Like to teach men that like you have other things you don't have to define your manhood based on like what woman, you know, is beside you or like as a power, you know, dynamic, you can define masculinity outside of these things. That's a great story. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, I yeah. used to be perfect. And now I'm not like, all right. <laughs> yeah i I, but i think um that's one of the things i liked about the movie is it ultimately has a compassionate Mm -hmm. message right like you don't have to be defined like it is ultimately like uh uncompassionate if anyone is defined purely by who they are in relationship to right and ideally you see that you know um not only for Ken, but for women in the real world, you know, like the, it's the inversion, right. Of what's going on in Barbie land versus the real world. Um, so I do hope that people get that point, but I agree with you, Brooke. It's weird that they're using a massive subplot for Ken to make that point. Right. Um, given that it's Barbie's movie. So, mm-hmm. um, I, yeah. I want to say one other quick thing, uh, that <laughs> moved me. What, uh, did I characterize her correctly, Brooke or what? Oh, <laughs> Go for it. Yes. <laughs> all right, no, I, if there, you, no, please. I thought there was a pause there. No, there yeah, yeah. is. Um, uh, what I thought about, no, um, the uh, I, I have a, a five-year-old daughter who has Barbies, plays with Barbies. I have played Barbies with her. Um, the sequence at the end with all of the sort of real footage of women and girls, um, that's sort of this montage of, it looks like, you know, a lot of home video footage and just, you know, not actors, real people made me cry. I was, I was crying just because, um, you know, this, the, this toy as Brooke, as you've spoken to very eloquently, uh, early on in our review, you know, it does mean something to people and it does have, there is a connection to imagine imagination and imaginative play that I see in my daughter. Um, and I just thought that was a really beautiful sequence to put in the film to show you know non-actors not in this glossy grand beautiful beautifully shot context it's just like people and uh i i thought that was lovely yeah um it is a movie that ultimately tries to be a celebration of the thing while also critiquing the thing and varying people people different people have different opinions on how effectively it, it pulls off each of those things right so uh but I agree. It was, it was nice. Uh, Brooke, I'm curious, like, were there any Barbie lore references that you appreciated? Because there's like, there's a lot of it, it's actually I found the fan service to be a little bit annoying, to be honest with you. Like, <laughs> I think fan service is great when it's subtle and you don't even realize it. But multiple points are like, they actually sold one of these. They actually, <laughs> hey, this is a real. They well, because I don't think most people would get it half the time that like, like we're not dogs. just inventing some goofy thing for this movie. You know? Yeah, it, it's fair. It's fair. But I, I love, you know, I would prefer. Anyway, Brooke, all that said, are there any uh, any sort of shout outs that you enjoyed? I like the dog pooping. I definitely remember <laughs> that dog. Um, for sure. But yeah, I, I think that's a part of like why we didn't really need Helen Mirren at all. Like that we didn't need that. I mean, I think the people who got it would have got it. And if you didn't get it, it's still like, what is going on? That's such a weird thing. That's kind of funny, you know? So yeah, yeah, that was, I love the dog. Um, weird Barbie. 
everybody destroyed a Barbie at some point in time. Like, and just the idea that they would go into Barbie land and be consistently destroyed, like always in the splits. I thought that was hilarious because of course my Barbies were definitely like that. I never drew on them, but I absolutely cut their hair before and did all of that. So I, I loved those. I loved those ideas. I thought it was cool the when they were tossing the outfits in the air and it would pause and yeah. be like you know like it was the recreation of an actual outfit that was sold. It was pretty cool. I, I was just like, uh, my mind was blown by the idea of the Barbie that had the video camera and then like yes. you can use. There's a screen in her back. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, if I had had Barbies as a kid, I would have probably uh, used that one a lot just because uh, <laughs> let's experiment with the cameras. Okay, uh, any other thoughts or shall we wrap it up there? on Barbie. Um, but I, I think, uh, Brooke really appreciate you sharing some of these criticisms with us. I, I think they're very valid and, uh, but it seems like even despite those, you still had a fun time at the movie, right? I definitely had a fun time. Yeah. I love, you know, and also in my screening, um, when the dub, the pink WB logo came up, the audience like booed and somebody was like, pay your writers. And then we all cheered. So I was, so we were in North Hollywood, right in WB's backyard. And so that felt really good. It was like, yeah, people, well, at least, you know, mm -hmm. they're losing the message in their own backyard, at least. But it felt mm -hmm. like, yeah, we're on the same page here. And then yesterday at my screening, this cute little black girl with Afro puffs, she raised her fist and said, fight the power after America's <laughs> big speech. So the audience going experience was lovely. It was so fun. Everybody had a great time. So Wonderful. Well, at the end of the day, it is really impressive that Greta Gerwig made a movie. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Find us on YouTube and Instagram and Twitter at thefilmcastpod. Find us on TikTok at the Filmcast. Uh, this episode of the podcast had its theme song from Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Our spoiler bumper and weekly plug music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen, with video assistance provided by Kurt Mega and John Barry. Brooke Obi, I want to say thank you again for joining us for this review. You want to tell people where they can find more of your work on the internet, Brooke? Um, you can find it at brookeobi.com. I'm also on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, check out Brooke's work. I'm a big fan and really grateful that she's decided to stop by here to share her love slash uh, mixed feelings about Barbie the movie with Critique. us here today. Critique. <laughs> Critique. Um, all right. Folks, next week on the podcast, a movie that seems like it should be... Like, I I'm actually worried that this movie is not going to be released because I've heard nothing about it at all. Uh-huh. Um, but apparently Ben Wheatley, talented auteur director has made a sequel to The Meg. It's called yes. Meg to the Trench. I don't think I've seen a single trailer for this. I don't, uh, yeah, I'm the like trailers worried. are out there. I, I, I'm worried I, maybe it's not, not gonna, your greetings today. I, but, I'm yeah. worried it's not going to come out. But anyway, assuming it comes out, mm -hmm. that is going to be the movie we review you, here. Do on you want to see Jason Statham uh, kick a, sh a shark in the mouth? Absolutely. In a Ben Wheatley movie? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. I want to see that. Again? Absolutely, I do. Again. <laughs> Again. <laughs> what, what if he has, the shark is chomping and he has to like push his, the shark mouth back? It looks mm. amazing. Looks That'd so be much amazing. Fun. Well, yeah. Meg 2, The Trench, will be our review right here on the Filmcast next week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you later. <laughs>